this is Matt Greenberg, screenwriter of Halloween H2O. You are listening to Horror Movie Podcast, where we are dead serious about horror movies. Welcome to Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. We have a bi-weekly show that's released every other Friday, and this is episode 148, another one of our Frankensteinian episodes where we bring you a variety of reviews of uh, whatever horror films that we've been watching lately. But don't worry, next time we're going to bring you Josh's pick for his themed episode, and it is a doozy. Anyways, on Horror Movie Podcast, you'll hear in-depth horror movie reviews, especially for new releases, with ratings and recommendations to help you decide whether you should buy, rent, or avoid these movies. And I am your host, Jay of the Dead, podcasting from Salt Lake City, and my lone co-host tonight is... Dave Dr. Schockbecker from just outside Philadelphia, PA. Hey, David. Welcome to the show, sir. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Yeah, I'm so glad you're here because otherwise this would be a solo cast and I doubt the listeners want that. Our uh, dear friend, the Wolfman Josh, he is out in the field. I assume he's on assignment. He said, tell the listeners I'm sorry and tell them that if it's any consolation, I died happy in the ghost forest on the Oregon coast. So there you go. So he's probably working on some filmmaking project, wouldn't you say, Dave? I would, I would think so. Yeah. So anyway. Unfortunately, he doesn't seem to have any service out there. Yeah, we tried for a, a while to get him on Skype with us or, you know, somehow get him into the show. So, um, yeah, we won't have Josh tonight, and I apologize to the listeners. I know everybody enjoys having him. But Dave, what's been going on with you real quick? A few things, actually. First off, I did want to point out, I just noticed this. It's not something we had discussed, but I did just notice the date. And for some reason, I think this is the second time in a few years. I don't think it was last year. I think it was a couple of years ago. But it is the 6th of June again. And that is, of course, as I've said before, Convoy Day. <laughs> From the song uh, by, was it C.W. McCall? Mm-hmm. The dark of the moon on the sixth of June. Yeah, right. I always notice that for some for some reason I always pick up uh, convoy day, I, and uh, you know, and of course I always think of uh, Sam Peckinpah's movie mm-hmm. uh, from the seventies. Mm-hmm. Certainly not one of his best works, right? But right. Uh, but it, but even a a lesser Sam Peckinpah movie is better than yeah. I got nothing. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was it wasn't it wasn't a good movie. But anyway, <laughs> I like the song. The song is pretty good. But anyway, that aside, I have been, uh, you know, uh, from the last show of, uh, I told the story about my, my DVDs and Blu-rays and the nightmare I'm having getting them all together. Well, I do have a plan of action now, and I'm sort of separating out things of like what I'm calling the essentials, the ones that I want to watch, the ones that, um, that, I mean, the essentials, the ones that are like my favorites that I want to keep rewatching, mm-hmm. ones that I have not seen yet but desperately want to watch, and then everything else. Mm-hmm. And as you can imagine, the biggest pile is everything else. Right. So I have decided 
to sell off a large portion. Originally, it was going to be doubles. However, I have now extended it into ones that I'm holding it and said, do I need to watch this again? Do I need to ever watch this? Do I have any desire to watch this? And if I hesitate at all, it's going to be sold. Wow. Um, I've set up and what it's funny because I've actually sold. Uh, I haven't really promoted it yet. It's on it's on letterboxd. Mm hmm. And I know that some people have um, have seen it. Uh, uh, Pastor Matt posted something on the comment board about it that he had seen that that I was selling these. Um, and I think it's Dogtooth, mm -hmm. who's a listener, uh, had sent in an order already. He's actually the first listener um, oh. to to buy some because I think three three hosts on the network have totally. already. Um, I I have. You have, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, what I do is when, as soon as somebody um, sends me an email, it's it's like a first, it's got to be a first come first. So whoever I get the email from, you know, whoever sends the email first, uh, if there's a specific title, I take it off of the list. Yeah. Um, and I've done that with you and, and um, Joel Robertson bought some and, and Josh uh, got a few. Mm -hmm. um, and, and like I said, uh, Dog Tooth. Um, what's his real name? I, I hate calling him. I hate calling him Dogtooth. Well, he he probably likes it. I mean, if that's his. Um, oh, I know he does. I handle. know he does. But he did. He sent me his real. Well, you know what? Now, never mind. I don't know that he wants me to give his real name. So we'll just we'll just stick with Dog. His real name is um, Clarence, and he's not fond of that. No. No, okay, I'm just kidding. Then, I'm kidding, Dogtooth. No, that's no, it's not. not <laughs> it's not Clarence. But by the same token, uh. He goes by, and I can't find it now because I get so much junk mail. <laughs> right, right. But anyway, he's um he's purchased a few as well. Well, um, Dave, and a few people, yeah. I can I just tell the listeners something because I feel like I feel like you're burying the lead here. Everybody knows that Dave Becker here, guys and girls, he has the most incredible DVD and Blu-ray collection, maybe on the earth. And um, when you go through these, so so of course he takes care of them. They're in mint condition. And Dave, what stood out to me first and foremost was the screaming deal. Like most of those are between like two dollars to five dollars. I mean, I saw you had you had like Criterion discs on there for like three bucks or something. And those are usually like I, I was just pricing those recently. Those are sometimes like eighty dollars. And you're selling. Well, some a, a lot of them, that's one thing. A lot of what I'm selling, I have owned since 2001, 2002, mm -hmm. which means they're more than likely out of print at this point. Incredible. Um, so, but I'm not looking to rake it in. Now, the way it's it's set up is, and you're right, that's what I'm going for. DVDs are $2. If it's a Criterion DVD, I am doing $3. <laughs> Blu-rays, I'm doing $3. Um, and actually, Joel already got this. I have this really cool Fanny and Alexander box set from Criterion. I mean, it's got it's got the mini series from Sweden. It has the movie release that was, you know, released uh, internationally and here in the U.S. especially. Mm -hmm. Plus, it has a collectible booklet in it. And I sold that for five dollars. And Joel Robertson already put in the order for that one. Yeah, he got that one. Um, and. Yeah, I'm not looking to, you know, I'm looking to save room. 
You know, I've, I'm keeping the ones I want to keep and I'm keeping a good number. I'm going to still have a fairly big collection when this is done. I'm just not going to have nearly as uncontrollable a collection when this is done. Well, I'm a- uh, and that's what I'm looking to do. And it's funny because the way I'm taking payment and it's going to is by Amazon gift card. And I figure that's the best way for everyone. If, if you send me you, you send me um, an email and I have it all on the letterbox page. And I guess, Jay, if you want to maybe put a link to it in the show notes or something. I'll link it in the show uh-huh. notes. And I guarantee people are going there right now to go through and sift through your choices because it's oh. it is the f- most fun shopping you'll ever do listeners well, thank you yeah and i and i'm adding to it all the time i mean it's funny i started out with just the doubles it was 200 and f- 250 i think of the doubles mm-hmm. um i sold uh you know between the four of you i think i sold like 35 of those mm-hmm but the list is still up over 300 because I'm adding more. I know. I, I didn't know that you were open up the floodgates. So as soon as we're done recording here, I'm sorry, listeners, I'm going to jump in there. <laughs> I have to, oh, okay. I can't stand it. It's amazing. There might be some things and I do list what's a Blu-ray. I mean, it'll be like in the detail view. I do list what's a Blu-ray. And if there's anything like price tag still on outer sleeve, slight tear and corner of, of case, things like that. I am putting it out there. But all of the discs do play, um, and I do keep them in very good condition. I never touch the disc. You know, I'm always very careful with that. So oh, yeah. as a matter of fact, the Criterion one that Joel got, mm-hmm. um, I bought it, and then I got as uh, as a gift the Blu-ray. I never even opened the the DVD that he's getting for $5. Oh, my it's goodness. Un- I mean, it, the plastic is off of it, but other than that, it has never been broken open. The disc has never been taken out of the case. And, and I'll, I'll put out there for the horror listeners, um, Dr. Shock is putting horror movies out there as well. So Quite a few. That's probably the biggest genre, of course. Right. So. I think that's the one I have. I have the most of. Um, so listeners, hit pause right now and go <laughs> go shopping on Dave's uh, incredible DVD yes. sale and well, Blu-ray. It, please, please do. And I'd like, and like I said, it, the payments by Amazon gift card, and that sounds as if I'm saving money to get more DVDs. <laughs> that's not necessarily the case. I mean, I might get, mm-hmm. I might use it obviously to get some, but a lot of it, I'm doing this for the upcoming holiday season to have money. Um, it's always been a bit of a struggle around Christmas time uh, for us to get money together for, for gifts for all of the family and everything. And now if we have this in this account, uh, we can actually get some gifts for people and we won't have to worry about it. So I'm looking at the collection going, uh, going that way. And, 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 and it's, and it's tough for me sometimes because I'll struggle. I mean, I had about, I have about 20 that I was going to list and I pulled them aside. No, I can't just yet. But yeah. <laughs> they'll probably eventually go on the list, just, if, if I'm being honest with myself. I'm just going to start um, checking this every single day. I'm going to have to. It, and it is being updated. It's almost being updated. Like, whenever I get some time, I haven't updated it today. But after you looked at it, Jay, I've probably added another 40, 40 to 45. Oh, Dave, you're going to you're going to get me in trouble. <laughs> but no that's uh, that's amazing and and so this episode will release before the next um mpw episode but do you want me to i could actually put this little conversation in the movie podcast weekly audience you know for yeah. them too if you'd like dave if you want to get I these things absolutely because it's not all horror movies yeah i mean i'm looking over here now i've got fiddler on the roof i've got uh the kingdom um 
I've got uh, Red Dawn, you know, from 84. Right. Because who would have the new one? Nobody would even have that new one. Right, right. (laughs) I have a two movie, one, it's one DVD, uh, two movies of Missing in Action 2 and Missing in Action 3, those, those classic Chuck Norris. um, Chuck Norris films. Yeah, brother. Um, a classic, classic in air quotes. Right. Um, uh, and, you know, and so, so there are other, other things over here. And of hey. course, chitty, 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 bang, bang. So you're the one that brought up Chuck Norris. So this is your fault. But hey, Dave, how many push ups can Chuck Norris do? I haven't the foggiest. All of them. <laughs> All of them. <laughs> Isn't that okay. amazing? That was a good one, right? Like, <laughs> very good. Yes. Very, very good. Okay. All right. I'm writing. I'm writing that down. I know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, so that's um. We're gonna have that linked in the show notes for episode 148. So if you if you're listening to this and you're like, where do I go to get that goodness? Um, go to horrormoviepodcast.com episode 148. I'll link that in the show notes and you go right to Dr. Shock's letterbox page where he's selling these and they'll just send you an email and they're going to pay you uh, by Amazon gift card. Right. Right. And what I do is you send me an email, then I will send a, um, once I'm, once I get these together, because right now the majority of them are in these bins in the basement, um, part of the deal. Um, okay. So it might was that I, uh, I did get a little space uh, back in the basement, but it was for these ones that were not going to stay there, that were going to be selling. Okay. And so um, so you, it might take a, a little bit for you to get the order out. To, because I, I okay. put them in the bin. They're in there very nicely, but in no specific order, and it's three full bins. Okay. So I've got to go through them, and I, I go down there. With, I'm going to go down there with a list and just sort of separate them out into piles. Yeah. Okay. You got it. All right, well, that's what we'll do. And uh, thanks, Dave, for your generosity. Honest to goodness, I mean, I was in our favorite um, our favorite movie store recently, the one in Salt Lake City that you and I yes. spent so much time in. Yes. And I was looking through their Criterion discs because there were a number of those that I'd like to own. And um, I couldn't believe, I mean, I always heard that Criterion discs are pretty expensive, but I just right. couldn't believe how outrageously priced I'm like, wow. So then when I saw that you were selling Criterion Disc for three bucks and DVDs for two bucks, and I mean, uh, the, the most expensive thing I saw in there was like $5, I think. That's as high as I've gone. And the only other $5 <laughs> thing left, I have a box set of uh, Bonnie and Clyde on DVD mm-hmm. that comes with a collectible booklet. Um, and it's it's like a pretty, pretty decent sized box. Uh, Mm-hmm. Pretty decent sized box set. Yeah, I was pretty tempted um, by that one actually. Oh, so. and I think Ben Hur. I have a four disc of Ben Hur that contains both the 1959 version and the silent version. Ooh. And I think that's five dollars because it's a box set as well and comes with a collectible booklet and the whole nine yards. Yeah. Well, you're you make me proud, Dave, and I'm proud to be your friend. And well, that, thank you. That's yeah, a- and I, I'm, I'm. You know what? I. <laughs> Uh, again, I'm I'm obviously profiting from this uh, to a degree. I mean, I am uh, I'm selling them even less than what it is, I believe, on on Amazon. And if you buy a used DVD on Amazon, even if it's like for a penny, I believe they charge three ninety nine shipping. Right. So it ends up being around four dollars anyway. Right. That's right. Um, yeah. But so yeah, and, and 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 you know, obviously not maybe some. Uh, Anyway, yeah, just check it out. And if there's something you like, definitely shoot me an email. 
Um, and it has to be a first come first serve. I mean, um, uh, on uh, Twitter back and forth with one of the listeners and he said he had a list of like 40 some put together and I said well you might want to check it again Josh actually snatched up one uh, he was the first one to respond and he got um, one that I thought would be pretty popular Cue the Winged Serpent the Blue Underground release Ooh. of that one <laughs> uh, he, he got that one right away that was like the first one he had listed there so okay. he got that one yeah so first come first serve and you have to email Dr. Shock in order to get your order in okay yeah and i, I have my email look toward the top i have my email at the top of the um uh, letterbox page all right all right dave thanks a lot that sounds very exciting and um here we are then for the frankensteinian episode since since we figured that josh might not be available tonight we moved his themed episode for the upcoming show and it's really a good one. I think we're all very excited about what he's got in store for us, huh? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, I mean, listeners, it's going to be worth your time, so make sure you tune in to the next episode. And if you're not subscribed to Horror Movie Podcast um, on iTunes, I mean, it's free. So go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe for free, and then you won't miss any release. So at this point, Dave, um, let's move into our first little feature review of Cargo. This country changing. Sick. We all get sick. You get sick too. If you are infected, then you've got 48 hours. Stop the car! Yeah, we need to, Let me we out! Need to... You have to take her. What do you mean? You have to what take her. I'm here, all right? All right, Dave. Now, I bet you already remember Cargo because it, this was initially in its first carna- incarnation. It was a short film from 2013. Uh, do you remember that by any chance? I cannot say I do. Oh, okay. Well, no, no problem. No problem. Because honestly, I was just, I was trying to think about it and I'm like, okay, when did we... You know, like, because I know we've talked about it on this this podcast before, but um, yeah, there's a little short film that we did an episode on short films. Was it during that one or? Well, I wasn't on for that one, so I don't think so. But we probably was. I I mean, it could have been. Who knows? But but I know that we have discussed it before, and I've at least discussed it with you guys. So what I'll do is, if people haven't seen the short film, here's the first thing. Um. I, you know, I like to tell people usually like when there's a short film and then that short film has been adapted into a full length feature film. Um, I mean, I saw the short film first. I loved it. And then I went to see the feature film. So I guess if you were to ask me, what would I recommend that people watch first? The short film is really good, but you know, it's, it's a very simple concept and so when I first saw that short film and I heard that they were talking about expanding it into, you know, a feature film, I'm like, wow, well, I guess that'll be amazing, but it might be difficult. So, I mean, at the, the punch, the power is packed within the short film. But honestly, now that the feature film exists, you know, I, I guess my recommendation would be watch the feature film first. It is streaming on Netflix. Watch instantly right now. I mean, you could watch it right now. As soon as you order DVDs from Dave, then you go watch a cargo on Netflix and um, you can check it out. 
but uh, yeah, so it it has the same um, uh, writers and uh, writer is Yolanda Ramke, and uh, she's also the co-director along with Ben Howling. And um, this basically it's an Australian film, as is the short film. And there's been a zombie um, outbreak. It's the zombie apocalypse, right? And you've got this this family, and and this is this is the premise. Okay, so I'm not I'm not spoiling. This is the premise, everybody. You you've got this father who is infected, but with this particular zombie virus, it takes a, some time, about forty eight hours, for for you to fully turn. And so you got a father who has a, a little baby, and he needs to figure out what he's going to do with this baby um, for before he turns. And so you know that that's really the the crux of this situation. And for me as a parent, like you know, immediately when I saw the short film, I'm like just totally floored by this because I'm like, yeah, that's that's an amazing concept. I would love that. So. Um, and that's what this whole film is about, is him just trying to find. Because as you know, Dave, in the face of a zombie apocalypse, the world is very unstable. Um, the infected... I would, I would I have Having not lived through one, I would think so. <laughs> but, I would tend to agree that it probably would be. But we've seen plenty, plenty of uh, such films, right? That's true. That's true. Mm-hmm. We have. And then things do get a little out of hand. That's right. That's right. There's always infected... And so, and there are, there are always people who do um, terrible things. A lot of times there are food shortages and, um, you know, I mean, there are just so many perils to worry about. And if you know, you're not going to be here anymore um, and you got to find someone to take care of your little baby, you know, this kid's about two or so, um, <laughs> you know, it, it's just, it's incredible. Now, a couple things I just want to celebrate about this film, which really makes and I'm talking about the feature length film. It's an it's an hour and forty five minutes, and it is a slow burn. And I think that's important in this case, Dave. A lot of times, you know, I'm a clock watcher. I'm a little bit impatient. You've been known to watch the clock. On <laughs> it's true, but with this, I mean, I mean, the dad himself, like he he watches the clock. And, and by the way, I should mention that the father is played by Martin Freeman fantastic actor you know. I, oh he's he's really really i think i've liked him in everything mm-hmm. i loved that he was cast as bilbo yeah in the hobbit movies <laughs> yes great in sherlock um mm-hmm. the world's end i think i don't think i've ever not liked him in something i've seen seen him in and honestly i think he is absolutely perfect for this role because you know how he's usually um, passive and mild-mannered. Well, he's that same mm-hmm. Martin Freeman, and so he's passive and mild-mannered. And, and man, just to watch him negotiate and navigate through this landscape is just uh, it's just chilling. And and so I've actually, Dave, i got to tell you, I've watched this twice now on Netflix. So I... I wow, I, Yeah, nice. I have watched it twice because I loved it so much. I mean, I, I just wanted to see it again, and so I did. And... um. You know, it has, uh, the other thing I will say, like, a lot of people, a lot of horror fans, even though this is clearly, without question, it's a zombie-infected type of film, um, you know, the horror, 
like the zombie scenes, the monster slash scary type scenes, those are minimal. I mean, there aren't a lot of those in it. Um, maybe not as many as you wanted. I, I would actually like to have a little more of that because like one thing I love about like 28 Days Later, for example, uh, you are always being reminded of exactly how scary and how dangerous that world is that they're living in. Very true, yep. And in this, I mean, I could definitely use um, a little bit more of, of that. So um, that's one thing that I'll say. And, and, you know, but you can argue, you could definitely argue that this is, this is a family story and this is about, I mean, the real struggle here is with just the father trying to figure out, okay, what, I mean, who can I trust? What's going to work in the long term? Um, it, it's just, you know, and, and there are some like heartbreaking moments in this and, and wow. I mean, it's, it's been one of my, my favorite things I've seen in a long time. So anyways, are you sold on this yet, Dave? I mean, are you thinking this is something you're going to check out? Oh, yes. Yes. I, I really wanted to get it watched before we recorded this episode. It just didn't happen. Yeah. Um, this is definitely high up on the list. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, um, my, my biggest criticism and man, this is really a bummer for me is that this, um, I, I feel like this film is very predictable. And, and so like the, the surprise is it's not a film that gives you a lot of surprises. And, and honestly, like for me personally, like basically very early on in the film, I'm like, okay, um, I, I see where this is going and you know, so it's one of those movies. So I, I, I guess, you know, you take the good with the bad, but but it's it's fantastic. I, I honestly forget what I rated it over on Movie Podcast Weekly, but I'll just tell you right now, I love this so much. I watched it twice. This is a nine out of 10 for me. And and it's because the heart is there. The execution is there. Um, the, the, zombie, the zombie virus, I love how in this film it has stages and the stages are are really compelling. It's like if there were an actual zombie virus, Dave, I feel like it would be like this one. It like the way that the body like changes and goes through stages, I feel like this captures what that might be like. And and then when they do when they do turn and they turn into zombies, um, it's pretty alarming. You know, it's it's pretty unsettling. So and, and they are, they're, they're kind of, you know, the more shambling, slower type zombies. They're not like, you know, the speed demon 28 days later, you know, types. But anyways, right. that's Cargo. It's a 9 out of 10. I'm, I'm going to buy this. I mean, it's a Netflix original film. So as soon as um, they have this out on like DVD and Blu-ray, I, I will actually try to purchase this one because I think it's worthy of owning it. And, um, do they put those Netflix movies out on DVD and Blu-ray? Well, actually, or do they do for some and not others. I, I th- my my limited knowledge of this is uh, I have known of some. Like for example, I know like Stranger Things, you can buy that. For example, yes, that's true. Yeah, that's true. You can. Yeah. So there are there are some things, and so I, I am I, I'm betting. But they, I mean, I don't know. I think it was a Netflix movie, the movie Hush, or was that Amazon? Uh, that came out a couple years ago. Yeah, they had the home invasion. Yeah, that was Netflix. Mm-hmm. That was Netflix. I don't know that that one's been made available yet. Right, right. But see, I, I'm I'm guessing that since this is Martin Freeman, 
And mm-hmm. I, I'm guessing that it will get, I hope it gets a physical media release. But um, this is one that I, I'll, I'll certainly buy if I can find it. Well, I hope they make, I hope they do eventually get around to doing that. Because I think Netflix is putting out the next Scorsese movie, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And I am li- and living for that. I, I can't even imagine what it would be like if that was not released on <laughs> on some form of physical media. I mean, they were originally it was up in the air whether it was going to get a theatrical release. If Can you imagine? Yeah, I know. For a, for a Scorsese film, it's like, what are you guys talking about right now? <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and this is and that's. That's, you know, for the listeners, it's not a gangster. I mean, it's not a horror film, of course, but it is a gangster flick. And with, with De Niro, Pacino, <laughs> it's got, it's got Pesci, Joe Pesci's back. The Irishman is what it's called. And man, yeah, yeah it's, it's about uh, Jimmy Hoffa, it, it, Jimmy Hoffa. So I, I cannot wait for this. I can't either. Anyways. So yeah. So, so back to cargo, um, it's something that I would recommend buying, but otherwise, I mean, the stream this on Netflix for sure. It's a must, it's a must see. And, and I do want to just temper people's expectations because, um, you know, it, it's not overly scary. There's not a lot that happens in it in terms of horror action, but it's all about the heart. I mean, we've been talking about this with like a quiet place this year. I mean, especially, I think, especially if you're a parent, you know, this will affect you. And, and one last thing, Dave, on that, um, you know, I've, I, I've known people in my life, for example, um, I was good, I'm good friends with a guy who is on the autism spectrum. He's actually my, my age. And um, he is someone who needs the care of others. Like he, he's, you know, uh, he, he needs help basically in his daily life. And, and I've known that, you know, his parents, for example, have been, you know, as they get older, you know, they're up in their like late sixties, early seventies. They worry about that. They worry about like, um, you know, I have this child who's, who's an adult now, but you know, who's going to take care of him when I'm gone. And I think that is like a real life, a real life concern for some parents in this life, you know. Uh, absolutely. And so, yeah, absolutely. It, it's incredible to see this film Cargo be able to explore that theme. So, anyways, uh, streaming on Netflix, nine out of ten, must see, buy it. That's where I'm going with Cargo. Okay, Dave, uh, I'm really excited because you've actually got a, a Roger Corman double feature to talk to us about tonight. So the first part of your double feature is going to be Up from the Depths from 1979. Imagine yourself on a dream vacation, sipping Mai Tais, surfing at Waikiki, basking in the warm Hawaiian sun, swimming in the tropical ocean. Your vacation is about to end. Beneath these waves lies a horror beyond imagining, hungry for human flesh, and it's coming up from the depths. Up from the depths, yes. 1979. Uh, directed by Charles B. Griffith um, and starring uh, Sam Bottoms, uh, Suzanne Reed, <laughs> and Virgil Fry. Yeah, this movie, uh, okay, just to give you a quick um, synopsis, mm-hmm. uh, this is on IMDb, a series of mysterious aquatic attacks 
indicate the presence of some huge, previously unknown giant species of shark, which is not entirely true. It's not it's not a shark. As a matter of fact, somebody even goes out of his way to say it's not a shark. Okay. Um, but it does behave like a shark. All right. Uh, that has risen to the surface as is preying on tourists, fishermen, researchers, etc. A local beachcomber and scam artist, Sullivan, will have to put will put have to put out to sea to defeat it. Uh, Sullivan is played by Sam Bottoms, um, and that's that's a that's a fairly good uh, synopsis. You know, maybe not a hundred percent because there's also a resort that's involved here, like a seaside resort, and there's always a seaside re- resort in these sort of movies. You know, when you hear something like this up from the depths, um, you know, uh, there was another Roger Corman produced movie from two years before this called Piranha, which <laughs> is I love Piranha. I right. really do. I love Piranha. It's a Jaws ripoff, um, but I love what they did with Piranha. I, I absolutely and I could watch that thing a hundred times um, up from the depths is much lower budget than that. Mm hmm. Uh, it certainly seems much lower budget. Uh, there is a pre-title sequence. What it is is there's this researcher who's out there with one of his um, students, I believe, who's interning for him, a uh, young, young lady, and she's about to go diving. Um, and they have this little scene where, uh, you know, and you, you get the idea there might be a little bit of a romance there because she wants a kiss before she goes in the water. <laughs> well, she goes down in the water. As she's down there, there's this major tremor. Um, and, you know, uh, but she doesn't come up. She's still, I don't even know what she's doing down there. They never really set it up, but it's not important. She's down there doing something, some sort of research. Okay. And, of course, she has a run-in with this creature. After the tremor, it has come to the surface. Well, the scene, what happened, first off, she's not a very good actress. So... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there there are two types of performances uh, or two types of acting styles. I'd say there's two types of acting in this movie, over and bad. <laughs> All right. I mean, most of it fits into the bad. Even Sam Bottoms, who I thought was at least good enough for the role in Apocalypse Now. I thought he was fine for the for the part of the surfer guy he played in that. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not strong as a lead but he's certainly not the worst in this movie uh who is the guy is it it's oscar forbes okay played by by uh kedrick wolf he's the um proprietor of the resort this guy is incredibly over the top in every single scene Uh it doesn't matter what he's doing if he's bringing drinks to somebody he's over the top every blessed scene this guy is so hyped up screaming yelling uh you know on edge it really gets it it gets it gets tiresome watching him i mean you you grow tired watching this guy because he's always just got this this sort of nervous energy about him in every single scene it doesn't even matter what's happening how dave how do you think directors don't see that 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 sticks out like a sore thumb and that they need to counsel them or direct them to dial it back. Well, I, I I guess it comes down to the talent of the director and how they work. Like, let's be honest, George Lucas was never strong working with actors. Mm -hmm. George Lucas was more interested in special effects. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and you know, because I mean, Sam Samuel L. Jackson gave a semi-wooden performance. <laughs> right. Um, you know, uh, I, I, Natalie Portman has won an Oscar. And I can't say that that her turn as Padme was one of her best. Liam Neeson in, in The Phantom Menace. Liam Neeson's a terrific, tremendous actor. Wooden in, in The Phantom Menace. So it, it's, it really depends on what the director, I guess, is focusing on and, and how he is with working with actors. It's funny you bring him up because just the other night I was watching the... Um like the bonus features disc with episode four and it was like the making of and and they were they were all kind of you know poking fun at george lucas and his directing style because several actors said yeah he'd come up to you and he'd say that was great but um uh, let's let's do it faster with more intensity so he kept saying do it faster with more intensity that was his directing line and that was it that's all he ever told people faster it was. more intense <laughs> but I think I think George Lucas kind of lost uh, his zest for directing earlier on. He was really more interested in uh, first the the I don't want to say merchandising, but sort of and definitely the special effects and and mm-hmm. sort of furthering the art of motion pictures as, as far as special effects go. Mm-hmm. And you got to give him his props for that because I think he definitely oh, yeah. you know did that. Of course. Um, uh, but, but again, and, and, and I don't know, and I don't know enough about the director of up from the depths to criticize him or say, maybe this, maybe, maybe in his other movies, it was better. I'm just looking him up now and I'm trying to see if, if I've seen any of his other movies, Charles um, B. Griffith. Well, he was a writer for the little shop of horrors from 86. Uh, looks like he mostly worked as a writer. Let me just see how many directorial uh not many as a matter of fact it looks like a lot of them were for he he directed eat my dust <laughs> uh which is a uh which is another uh george corman uh george corman george corman jesus roger corman right uh smoky bites the dust another roger corman um wizards of the lost kingdom 2 if it's not a Roger Corman, it probably should have been. Right. You know, things like that. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what. Obviously, he didn't have a lot of experience as a director when he was working on this movie. Right. Um, anyway, there is comedy in this. A lot of it stems from this couple at the resort. Um, they're trying to be, you know, uh, What's his name? Sam Bonnells plays this guy, Greg Oliver. And he's, I don't know if it's his uncle or his boss, uh, this this boat's captain, Earl Sullivan, sort of a rough character who drinks. You almost get the idea he's supposed to be maybe like Quint, but without the skills that Quint has. Okay. <laughs> um, this guy's just more of a, this guy's more, he's more of a, of a con man that he's going to build these people. He gets this older uh, couple from the hotel and he gets them on his ship and he talks about this treasure that's off the, um, you know, in the reef. This also supposedly takes place in Hawaii. though I did read somewhere. um, And I think I kind of agree with this, that it was probably shot in the Philippines as opposed to being shot in Hawaii. I can't say that for sure. Yeah. Uh, for the next movie I'm going to talk about, I'm pretty certain it was shot in the Philippines and not in Hawaii. Okay. This one I'm not a hundred percent sure. Um, but anyway, uh, that's what the, that's what this character that's what he does. But this older couple, 
they bicker a lot. And it's one of those things, like even as things are getting crazy and the monster is attacking, they're still sort of bickering back and forth and little jokes. And, and there's a drunk couple that are cracking jokes as the monster attacks. So it is listed as comedy horror, but it's one of those movies where you're laughing a little more at what's supposed to be serious than you are at any of the comedy. Right. right? The comedy just doesn't work. Right. Uh, at okay. least it didn't work for me. Um, some sometimes people will say something that's out of left field that is supposed to be funny, and you kind of snicker at it to say, "Where the hell did that come from?" <laughs> um, it, especially uh, Oscar Forbes, the the guy who runs the the um, resort. Yeah. Uh, as for the creature, all right, we'll get to the creature. They don't show it often which is a good move because when they do show it, it goes back to that whole thing that Steven Spielberg said with the, with the uh, shark in Jaws. He said, you know, you had to know just when to cut it. He said 1.5 seconds, it looked great. Two seconds, it looked like a floating great turd. Mm-hmm. This thing looks more like a floating turd than it does any sort of creature. Now, the un- there's underwater photography, not particularly great underwater photography, but there's underwater photography and up from the depths. And with the attacks, you see like the camera going towards the person and then just sort of red. So you never really see any underwater attacks. Most of what you see of this creature is above water. I thought it was kind of cool though. Instead of just one fin, you know, with a shark, you get that dorsal fin always out of the water. Yeah. This thing's got a double fin. Okay. And I thought that was kind of cool. That's right. Double. So that's double one your point pleasure. In its favor anyway. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. One point in its favor. Um. Yeah, up from the depths is not a great movie. All right, it's it's just not. Um, a lot of things, you know, with, with low budget, you can forgive some things, but you still expect it to deliver on others, and especially with a horror comedy. Um, in this type of thing, you know, with uh, about an undersea creature, you expect it to deliver a little bit more on um, the creature, you know, and, and some of the attacks. And, and in the comedy, you maybe expect there to be a few funny scenes, um, but you don't really get that in this movie, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that if you really do like schlocky films, and I usually do. I think you might get a kick out of watching this. And if you're part of that whole MST3K crowd, um, mm-hmm. you'd really have a lot of fun, I think, watching this movie. Uh, I'm going to give it, I'm still going to probably give it a four out of 10. Okay. But it's, I got to say, it's an avoid. I, I can't even really say it's a low priority rental. I got to say it's a void <laughs> because it's, it's just not, it's not what I was hoping it would be. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, and sometimes, you know, I don't, I don't like to go in with preconceptions about a movie, mm-hmm. um, but you do have certain preconceptions when you hear a movie about an undersea prehistoric creature. And unfortunately the movie doesn't really deliver on it. So yeah, four out of 10 and it has to be in a void. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. And I see on IMDb, um, up from the depths has a 2.7 rating. The one star yeah, rating. That's so a, that's a that's a little harsh. 
Yeah, it's, it, it seems like it. It only has 500 reviews, though. Yeah, so it this is... It only has 500 reviews, so... So you might say, I mean, according to the way we've judged this in the past, like, these are people who rate things on IMDb, like, it's kind of a lesser-known film, it seems. Is it, it seems to be. Not too many people have reviewed it on IMDb, but I've heard of it. I mean, I think you've... Have you heard of this before, Jay? I think I've heard of it before. Honestly, I have not heard of it, so... Oh, well, it's just me then. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, this is Up from the Depths from 1979. And uh, Dr. Shock says it's a four out of ten. Avoid it. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. You got it, buddy. All right. Well, uh, thanks, Dave. And uh, in a moment, um, Dave's going to come back with another Roger Corman flick. But in the meantime, let's move into my feature review of Feral. How you doing, city girl? Say nothing, country girl. I'm really glad you came. Me too. So how did you two meet, anyway? At the rabbit hole. What were you doing on that dog? <laughs> Looking for cheap sex. And I found it. <laughs> it looks like you got attacked by a wild animal. When it comes back. Somebody needs to hike back and get some help. Nearest human being 50 miles away. Sun setting. They will be back. They all will. All right. This could have been, in terms of my, you know, the way I regard creature-type features, this could have been a Beastly Freaks-type flick. I mean, even though it is one of those things where, like, you, you've got human beings getting bitten and infected and turning into things, right? But, I mean, that, to me, in my book, Dave, that goes into Beastly Freak territory. I mean, like, Cujo is a Beastly Freak. Mm-hmm. Um, Jaws is a beastly freak, you know, that, that show, Great White Shark. And then, right. like, when you got people, like, getting bitten and turned into freaks. Now, um, I draw the line. Nobody cares about all this minutia, but I, I draw the line usually with, like, when it's, like, a certain kind of infected, when when they're zombie-like, right, then I, I usually sweep those under the rug of the zombie subgenre. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah, but something, but something like Primal, that Australian movie. That would probably be a beastly freak, right? Exactly, and that's that's what we're talking about here. Thank you for bringing up Primal because I've been trying to like pull that out of the thin air. Yeah, Primal from 2010. I, I love that movie. I think you do yeah, that's too. That's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah, and that, that's you know you got somebody who's turned into a mutant freak. Well, <clears throat> this is along those lines too. This is a new film. This is 2018, and it was directed by. Uh, Mark Young, who also co-wrote this with Adam Frazier. And it stars uh, Scout Taylor Compton. Everybody knows her, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. From yeah. Halloween. Yeah, exactly. And um, a couple other people you'll probably recognize, um, maybe f- from little things here and there. But uh, basically the premise is you got a group of uh, like college type kids right it's weird huh because it's always hard for me to say because sometimes even when they have like high schoolers in a movie they have people in their like late 20s early 30s playing them (laughs) yeah exactly so i never know whether to say college or or high school but anyway i'm pretty sure these are like college age type kids Mm -hmm. and um they go on this like weekend in the woods and uh, they're on a little camping trip. And, of course, one night, one of them goes off um, alone 
and you know what happens it gets devoured by something crazy in the woods so you know this film has a couple of things going for it like right off the bat for for me because like i'm like okay first of all it's called feral and i love like feral monster attack type movies and um and also it's like a horror film set in the woods so that's good and i i like scout taylor compton you know so all those things dave predisposed me to making me like feel pretty good about it and in fact the opening scene of this film is really different i mean it opens do you remember that that scene um in seven um the sloth um murder victim character the one in in david fincher seven the one that's like yes I remember the. I'm trying to remember the sloth one though. I remember the gluttony. I remember the the pride. Yeah. Well, yeah. You basically had him like, um, you know, permanently attached to the bed, is what you had oh, there. Oh yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So it's along those lines. It's also along the lines of uh, like Dead Girl, the 2008 film, Dead Girl, all one word, where, right. where they're attached. So it opens with a scene like that, and you've got some kind of a freaky being um, attached and stuck in this cellar somewhere. And, and you know, that, that piques your curiosity. So the way it opens is very promising. And then you get this, this first kill and everything, but then Dave, something, something inexplicable happens to this film. And I just, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just kind of astounded. Okay. So picture in this movie, this is the best way to explain it. You have point A in the woods, and then you have point B in the woods, and these are very far apart. Well, you have characters that basically start going back and forth between point A and point B, and and it doesn't really make any sense what they're doing. Like, like if you're following their decision-making process, like, these are not decisions that I think normal people would make, you know, these are very dumb nonsensical decisions and and you've got people going back and forth getting killed getting bitten getting all kind of things and it's like first of all they're not getting anywhere because they keep going back and forth that's one problem and the other problem is that they're they're obviously dying and so it it just it doesn't make sense and worse yet um it's kind of boring like because they're like just walking back and forth and and Dave, I was just like, wow. I mean, just a little astounded. It's like, come on, a little more story, a little a little more development, you know. So so that really hurts the film. And I feel like that going back and forth is is dragged out um quite a bit. Now, listeners out there, if you feel I've misrepresented this, if you've seen Farrell, let me know. because uh, I would love to hear your take on it. But that's just what it feels like to me. Now I will tell you, as far as the um, the beastly freak type character, you've got like a, a vampire looking freak. It's kind of a, a cross between uh, Nosferatu and uh, Mister Barlow, you know, from uh, <laughs> uh, Salem's Lot, right? And Ooh. and so I like I like the look there. I mean, so that that's pretty good. But um, you know, and. And, and later in the film, we get, you know, the exposition scene where, you know, you have characters who are explaining things like pretty in depth and 
So anyway, this is along the lines of like a zombie vampire mixture, also beastly freakish. But, um, you know, to me, Dave, Farrell is, is just barely okay. I mean, it's like a 5.5 out of 10 for me. And this is something I would call a low priority rental. I mean, it's something that, um, you know how I've complained many times about Redbox rentals for horror. <laughs> I mean, if I got this from Redbox, because I have such a low opinion of many of those that, that end up there, I would I would be, you know, I'd think, okay, well, it was a buck, you know, whatever. You know, so that's where I am. If, if it's okay. streaming on Netflix one day, okay, maybe, you know. Right right now I see it's on um, Amazon for seven bucks, and I'm saying that's... That's too much for this movie. So, anyway, that the movie's called Feral from 2018, and uh, yeah, do what you will. So, what do you think, Dave? Are you gonna be checking out Feral? Um, uh, probably at some point, but I'm not gonna rush out to see it. Right. Definitely Cargo. I'm gonna be seeing that one first uh, before I check out Feral. Okay, you got. I it. mean, especially when you describe the like sort of the Nosferatu. You know Barlow. Yeah, I always like that. I like I like that look. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really do. I like that look. It's and, and uh, along with lines of like the, the vampires in Thirty Days a Night. I always like that sort of that that look where they're really monsters. Right. Yeah. I mean it's 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 a it's a good look. I mean I think it works. Um, you don't see it like tons, but um, anyways, I okay. you know. If you do end up watching it, let me know what you think. But but in the meantime, I think we're ready for uh, another uh, Roger Corman flick. It's called Demon of Paradise from 1987. There's real danger here. What is going on over there? Oh, my God. Maybe she's right. This whole thing could be a hoax. You don't want to acknowledge the legends of Akula, do you? Man, I keep hearing something sloshing around out there. Just a book, Annie. An old book. And you're not a witch doctor. No, I don't have a picture of Akua. There is no Akua, man. How can I get a picture of it? There is no danger. Uh, yes, Demon of Paradise, 1987. Uh, obviously, for anybody who's aware of the um, Shout Factory release, uh, you'll know that Up From the Depths and Demon of Paradise were a double feature, part of the Roger Corman collection that came out years ago. Uh, and that's sort of the reason why I, I, I'm pairing these two movies together is because they were both on the same disc. Uh, and I got to uh, just sort of sit there and watch them both without having to get up and change a disc. I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> and also, if, you, if, if um, well, uh, again, I'm, I'll give my rating on this movie. But one really neat thing that they have on this disc, and I'm assuming they have it on some of the other ones, is you can watch these as a double feature grindhouse experience. They have that where they will show the trailers too, you know, at the beginning, middle and end type thing. Um, so you can watch the movie as if, and get the feel as if you were watching it in the grindhouse okay. uh, theater. And I think that's really cool. I like it when movies do that. That is cool. You know, and I know that I know Warner's when they came out with their gangster films way back when, they did that where you could watch it like a night at the movies where it'll have a newsreel and a cartoon and all that sort of stuff. And I always like it when they, when they recreate that sort of thing. <laughs> Me too. Um, but that is something that they do on this, on this disc. Uh, and even if, it, you know, th- there's plenty of, of movies under this Roger Corman collection. Um, 
that are worth checking out. They really are. Uh, but anyway, Demon of Paradise, 1987, sort of along the same lines, except um, it's a creature that a prehistoric creature that's, that's living under the water, again, set in Hawaii. Again, there's a resort involved. Um, but there's a little bit more to this one as well. There's um, this dynamite. Uh, there, there's the, These criminals are making this illegal dynamite. And uh, some of them are throwing it, like they're testing it, they're throwing it in the water. Well, that's supposedly what creates the fissure through which this creature comes up. Ooh. Only in Demon of Paradise, this creature is more along the lines of not exactly, but the Gill Man. This is a humanoid creature. Okay, so it looks like right, Joel. Human- huh? It looks like Joel, then. There you Gill Man Joel. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yes. <laughs> um, along, I'm probably more like the humanoids from the deep, which is another Roger Corman, which is, I love humanoids from the deep. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, Demon of Paradise, that's the creature you get in this film. Uh, on Just on an overall level, this, for me, is the better of the two movies. Oh, wow. It's it's it's, it's better made, um, or better made, that sounds, you know, it, it's, it looks more professionally made, uh, even with the low budget. Um, the performances are better. You don't get, you know... Maybe not all of them are great, but they're certainly better than we got enough from the depths. Um, the dynamite story, though, I mean, at the beginning, that's sort of what awakens, sort of what gets this creature going. Mm-hmm. They stay a little too long with this dynamite subplot <laughs> in the movie. Yeah. And it doesn't go anywhere. Just to give you a quick, uh, again, this is from IMDb. Hunters become the hunted when illegal dynamite disturbs the age age-old slumber of a carnivorous lizard man. Resort owner Angela joins forces with Sheriff Killer to save tourists from the, and I got to now click the full summary, <laughs> save tourists from the beast's path of, path of death. Well, that was certainly worth it. <laughs> um, but, and that's, that's, that's probably a good um, synopsis. You do get a little bit of a romantic subplot between uh, the Sheriff Kiefer who hasn't, they never really get too much into his backstory, but he used to be a sheriff in Reno, Nevada, mm-hmm. and something happened there, and they, they find out he's a widower. So something happened there, and this girl, uh, Annie, who's a researcher. And one of the thing, one of the issues I have with this movie, and it's not just this movie, a lot of these sort of movies do this, where the researcher will, there'll be one death and the researcher will automatically think, well, we're dealing with a creature we've never seen before. <laughs> Whereas the cops like, what are you talking about? It could have been, you know, chewed up by a propeller of a boat yeah. or, or something along those lines. Exactly. Of course, we know the researcher is right, but you know, they, they, I always see the researchers and this people of science, uh, so-called people of science jumping to these outlandish, you know, conclusions <laughs> yes. that, yes, even though you're right, even though we know you're right, mm-hmm. why would you leap right there? Why right. would you jump from, oh, here's a dead man, a little bit torn up, must be a, a prehistoric creature <laughs> we've never seen before. Yes, it's strange credulity, right? <laughs> right. Even though it's a local legend in Hawaii. Um, and you know how I said that uh, this is the other one I was talking about, uh, where I said that I got the feeling that Up From the Depths may have been shot in, in the Philippines. 
Mm-hmm. This one, it doesn't even look as as much like Hawaii. I mean, they do have like hula dancers, but I mean, there's a scene where at this resort where one of the things I always think of with Hawaii is beaches. Okay, maybe not all of them, but but when they're talking, when they're saying, "Oh, there's the ocean out there," uh, you think, "Okay, well, there's you know." beaches maybe it's a bay i don't know but it looked like they were like, talking about <laughs> Dave's like, did you ever know that you're my hero <laughs> right <laughs> i'm just kidding yeah, right josh would be hating me right now for making bet midler jokes on the podcast anyways on the uh, bet yeah with, well with beaches shame or, on you for that i know but <laughs> anyway um this to me did not look like this really did look like if it was in the Philippines, it did not look like Hawaii to me. Again, I could be completely wrong. I haven't. Why don't I look up and see where it says where it was shot? Yeah, because why? if it says Hawaii, I'm going to have. Then you're going to be. I'm going to look like a total fool here. Eating crow, right? Um, like, let me see. Nope, nope. It was shot in the Philippines. Uh, okay, just like so you I'm suspected. Like There's no way this one was was shot in Hawaii. Everything about this, there was nothing about this that screamed Hawaii to me. <laughs> okay. Nothing at all. Um, what I did like about this movie was the creature. Now, it's a man in a suit. Okay. Mm-hmm, 1987, clearly. Roger Corman, low budget film. It's a guy in a, in, in a, in a plastic suit. Mm-hmm. But they show it a little more often. Again, not too often. And it does have a few pretty sinister scenes a scene where this this girl is trying to swim away and you just see the creature just slowly sink into the water and you know it's going after her <laughs> and you can't see it and that's one of the things that i think is really great about when you get an undersea an underwater creature is you can't see it i think one of my favorite scenes my all-time it is my all-time favorite scene in Creature from the Black Lagoon, the original one, mm-hmm. is when Julie Adams is out swimming and the creature is swimming underneath Swims her. Swims under. And almost like reaching up and coming close to her. That's incredible. Just how creepy that is. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, because everybody who has ever um, been swimming in, in, in like a, out in nature like that, you always wonder what's swimming beneath you down there lower in exactly. the depths. Exactly. And this shows you. And so there is something coming after you. Um, they do get a little bit more into makeup in this movie too. Again, the deaths are not incredibly gory, but when you see the aftermath of a couple of them, they do actually go to some lengths, um, you know, to make it look like these things, like someone's been mangled, you know? So, and, and for the most part, it, you know, it's, it looks good enough. It Mm -hmm. really does. Um, it this movie flows a little better than the than the previous one as well. Um, like I said, they stuck with the dynamite subplot too long, um, and there's no way it was Hawaii. And when they go to the resort, um, this is this resort is is run by a woman, uh, and you get the whole thing where the sheriff wants to shut it down because of the deaths, and the woman wants to stay open because she's got a big group coming in, uh, and she's got these. <laughs> there's this whole scene. It's, <laughs> it's just really childish. Uh, these, <laughs> these, these people have, have come to Hawaii. All right. Uh, this is a vacation. This, it's, par- it's like the paradise. Um, it's the name of the place is paradise is the name of this resort. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, the bus comes up and it says Paradise or Bus. There's a sign on the side of it. These people get off. They're all excited to be there. And this woman greets them and says that she's got a game for them. They're going to be playing on the beach. And whoever wins gets a free vacation. They all cheer. Yay! You know, and you're like, <laughs> all right, that's a little goofy. But then they actually have an entire sequence where they show this game. And adults running around looking for the, like, the creature is, I can't remember what the name of the creature is in the legend. You know, there is the, the, this creature is a legendary creature among the, the indigenous population of, of Hawaii. And then they, for hundreds of years, they've talked about it. Mm-hmm. Well, she somehow ties that in with this game that if they find the egg, the biggest egg of this creature, they get a free vacation. And you see, it's almost like an Easter egg hunt. People running around yeah. looking for this egg and someone will jump out and scare them wearing the mask. And the woman is on a megaphone announcing, oh, there's the creature. Oh, watch out over there. And I'm watching. I'm going, what the hell is this? Yeah, that's I, weird. I, I, it's it's very. It, it, it was really just a very silly sequence in the middle of this movie, in the middle of a movie that was not really pushing for humor mm-hmm. unlike up from the depths this is not a comedy this is a horror movie and it just was a it was just a goofy sequence it was really goofy it didn't fit and like i said they the, the, the dynamite subplot way too long um and the music the musical score really got me too uh the boats going along this it's almost as if they're playing this marvin hamlish love piano <laughs> um for half of this stuff and it really doesn't fit in this kind of movie like uh like the 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 woman scientist um annie walking on on the boat and you hear this sort of love piano theme playing and you know that there's a creature lurking out there it didn't make a lot of sense like the music didn't really fit with a lot of the scenes either yeah that's weird. um that said it is the better of the two. All right. And if you're going to watch one of the two movies, I think demon of paradise should be the one I'm going to give it a 5.5 and call it. Um, I'll say a rental. I'm not even going to go low priority. I'll say a rental. Um, again, you have to know what you're getting. You have to know you're getting a Roger Corman, low budget, schlocky kind of movie. <laughs> right. Uh, and if you get it and there's, and there's another, uh, there's also a model in here. What was her name? Oh, I can't remember what her name is now. Uh, but this model comes to take pictures on the, um, both movies have that as a matter of fact, uh, photo shoots of beautiful girls in various stages of undress. Okay. Both movies have that. This one has it too. And when this woman first shows up at this resort, they have like, out front, they have a little pond with fish in it, you know, as decorative. And she goes, I wonder if fish like bubble gum and spits her gum in. Now you see a wad of gum go into this pond and every fish swim over and try to take a bite of it. Of course, as they, as they would. Know, <laughs> as they would. Yeah. But I don't know. In 1987, I don't know if, I don't think feeding bubble gum to fish is such a good thing. I bet. Well, especially once you're keeping as pets. If it was hubba bubba. Maybe well, Hubba Bubba would be different, or what was that big league chew? <laughs> yeah, you know, I love something that like stuff. that. Maybe it'd be and, uh, a little bit different. Bubble yum, right? 
Bubble, See? bubble yum. Yeah, yes. but I, and 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 many other '80s brands of right. bubble gum that we can't think of right now. Right. <laughs> um. But anyway, so yeah, five point five. I'll I'll say it's a rental of the two, but again, know what you're getting when when you're going into it. Okay, so that's Demon of Paradise from 1987, and Dave says 5.5, rent it. Okay, <laughs> that sounds good, Dave. Thank you very much for reviewing those. As a quadriplegic, it must be frustrating for you, someone who likes to get things done with their hands. Here's the thing. Four guys murdered my wife. If I could find these men, I'd do it. What if I told you I could offer you something that would enable you to walk again? I call it STEM. A computer chip that has the potential to change everything. It's a new, better brain. I am STEM. The system operating your body for you. All right. So I was originally going to do this as a, a, one of our, H- our horror movie podcasts. PSAs, right? Our public service announcements. But mm-hmm. there has been so much um, like preemptive strike from the horror movie podcast community of people, specifically, I feel like going after me before even reviewing Upgrade, the movie Upgrade, going after me saying, Jay, this is horror. Don't even say it's not horror, right? Like, so. Let me just let me just put it out there because you know people have been so adamant about this I, I just want to put everybody's fears at ease and say um I can totally see how and why you would read this as horror but but isn't it interesting though Dave I'm just putting it out there isn't it interesting that like people were before even like hearing anything that I thought about this movie or, or anything, they were reaching out saying, Hey Jay, this is horror now. Like there's there's no other way to look at it. <laughs> so I mean that's it's, ta- it's almost like they know you. Well, it's almost like I mean, I think that the evidence is there in and of itself to to, to at least suggest there might be some ambiguity for some. And that's fine. So so anyway, I, I'm just putting out there to the horror movie podcast community. If you feel that upgrade is as horror, then I totally I get it. I see that argument, and that's totally fine. Now I I will say before you know when we reviewed upgrade on movie podcast weekly, I asked my co-hosts over there without even I mean they don't know how much we argue about genre, nor would they care if you know those guys over there. But I asked them to kind of classify it, and they all said very interesting things, but not one of them said horror. And for me, I'm just giving it to you straight. For me, this is like um, an action, sci-fi, drama, thriller, with some horror elements, for sure. I mean, that's kind of where I come in on Upgrade. But anyways, this is written and directed by Lee Wanell, there's been a lot of buzz about this film this year. And so, you know, like I said, it was going to be a PSA, but I'm going to talk about it a little bit here on Horror Movie Podcast because I know this has resonated so much with the listeners. I'm going to say, I, just to jump in real quick, I've seen that I have not seen the movie yet, but I've seen two trailers for it. Mm-hmm. And I got to say, the trailers did not strike me 
as particularly horrific. Right. It seemed more action oriented. The trailers I've seen, but again, I've not seen the movie. Right. Well, they, I mean, the IMDb is listing it as a horror film. They they do. They listen their their categorization as action horror sci fi, and and in truth, there are action horror films. We all know this, but um, to me, I mean, I think. And, and a lot of people have said this, and I, I totally agree, but I mean, when I watched it, the, the feeling that I had was I'm like, okay, this is like Death Wish meets RoboCop, basically. I mean, it's it's really similar thematically um, to those kind of films. I mean, is it uber violent? Yes. I mean, uh, you know, and are there things like in terms of horror conventions or like if you're thinking of a horror scenario, like... If you were in this situation and this thing were happening to you, then, you know, is would that be horror? Then, yes, if that's happening to you in real life. But for me, the key, and nobody cares about this, but I'm just saying, to me, to me, the key is the tone. And so the tone of this, even though it's a dark film, you know, it's not as bleak and oppressive and, like, soul-sucking as, like, you know, typical horror is, it feels more like an action flick. This is more like a, and and I don't mean this in a disparaging way, but this is more like a Van Damme kind of movie in some ways. <laughs> you know what I mean? In one of his dark, gritty movies. Gotcha. Then, then, then like, um, like, you know how The Conjuring, when you watch The Conjuring or when you watch the, the new Evil Dead remake, you feel like a darkness. I mean, I do. Right. I, I'm sensitive oh, to definitely. that. Yeah, and and like I don't, I don't have that here. I mean, I I have something different. But th- this is a, I mean, this is a really fun film. I I was over on MPW. I was the one championing it. So I'm not dissing this film at all. And and yeah, this is gonna be Dave. I'll tell you right now, this is gonna be on a lot of people's top ten horror list of the year nice Uh, this is this is a movie i definitely want to see as well Mm -hmm. and and the trailers really pulled me in they did well yeah and and it stars um logan marshall green now i love this dude i've liked him for a long time like you know a lot of people joke that he looks a lot like tom hardy I I loved him ever since. Like my favorite role of his was he was in The Invitation. Do you remember that movie, Dave? Did you get to see that one? Oh yes, absolutely. Was he the star? He starred in that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was he was like the lead guy in The Invitation. Oh, he was great. He was great in that. Yeah, I liked him there. And he was in Devil, and he's in Prometheus. So people know him from a few things. But anyway, he's a good actor, and and he really. I mean, this is a. This is a very physical role. There's a lot, there's a physical performance, obviously, to execute here. And the way this dude handles it, it's amazing. So I'm going to, you know, I'll just barely touch on the premise because I don't want to spoil it for people. Um, The tagline is, not man, not machine, more. And that's cool. So this is set in the future. And uh, basically, like, everybody is submerged and overcome with technology. You know, everybody's just so focused. They have, like, self-driving cars where you don't even have to drive cars and stuff. But this dude, Logan Marshall Green's character, his name's Gray, he is not. He is kind of one of those old-school guys. He's, like, a a technophobe. He's kind of keeping it real. And, you know, he works on old cars. And anyways... Something happens, something happens in this film where that, that renders him, and this is the premise, that renders him uh, uh, paraplegic. He, he, he's paralyzed, and so he ends up getting some technology 
inserted into him um, to, in order to help. Um, it's called stem, and 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 to help facilitate his 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 body movement again to help him regain his movement of his body. And if you've seen the trailer, then you will know that like you know this gives him a lot of really cool abilities because stem can move his body and help him function in really cool ways. So as he's investigating um, this mystery that's happening in the film, the driving force of the film, it has a revenge plot to it. Um, and he gets into like tussles with people, then stem can help him be, you know, a lethal fighter and martial artist and so forth. So, so that's kind of the, the flavor there. Um, what do you think so far, Dave? Like, what's this sounding like to you? What do you mean? I like something, is it something I want to say or what do you mean? Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, just from what I described, I mean, does that, I mean, it, it kind of, you know, to me, I mean, I'm just saying it feels like, um, I mean, it, it has action movie flavor to me, like, like thriller yeah, I, revenge. I, I, I think just from the trailer, your description of death wish meets RoboCop mm-hmm. seems spot on. Yeah. You know, cause that I think is, is, what I got from the trailer. Mm-hmm. Um, and both of those are, you know, obviously was, you got revenge, a revenge flick in there, mm-hmm. but definitely action oriented. Right. Sci-fi as well. Yes. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's very violent and it does have some, you know, good, like <laughs> type of gore scenes. But what I love is um my, my favorite aspect of this, that, that's really worth appreciating is when, when he does, you know, let, let his body be taken over in order to fight. Like he kind of steps aside, so to speak, and lets stem control his movements during the fight scenes. It really seems like, you know, he's consciously in his, in his mind, but, but his body movement that he's not controlling it. And, and it actually looks like that's what's happening. And, And they speed up, the film slightly so he moves very fast like the whole thing goes fast when there are fights and it's brutal and lethal and extremely violent and and there is some good gore and the people who argue uh, for it being a horror film you know that it's not something that they've been able to argue outright because that goes into more spoiler territory later in the film so i'll stay away from that but but um definitely this is Definitely, at, at the very least, horror adjacent or something that I think horror fans would really appreciate. Um, I'm sure we'll be talking about this a lot more, so I won't. I won't drone on and on. I'll save some of my my thoughts on it for um, you know when you and Josh see it. I'm sure we'll talk about it again, and we'll get a lot of um, hate mail comments of people telling me why I'm nuts and and like <laughs> and that's fine. It's totally fine. But I I think this this film is a blast. I mean, I was amused. I was giddy when I was watching this, and I think it is worth your time. People should definitely see this in the theater. Upgrade is an 8.5 out of 10 for me. I say see it in the theater, and um, I'm calling this a buy. I think it's worth buying because it's it's such a cool uh, sci-fi um, ed, you know, type of flick. Really cool that's stuff. Great. That's great. That's great to hear because I I really am anxious to see this one too. Yeah, and Dave, you know, I know you don't always get out to the theater, and I think this is one that it's worth it's worth your time to to do that. So if you can, yeah, work oh, it no, in. definitely. And, I'm, and my goal this year is to get to the theater more often now that I can. 
Um, I have a vacation coming up, and that's the only thing sort of delaying me at this point, just because I'm working more, um, you know, to have time out for the vac- uh, time off for the vacation. Mm-hmm. But uh, no, I intend to get to the movies. I'm looking forward to October too, when all the horror movies come out, and I definitely want to see um, her, uh, this upgrade and Hereditary. Oh yes, and, and in, in fact, as we record this here, it's coming out. Um, you know, tomorrow night, it's coming out this yes. upcoming weekend, <clears throat> and I'm definitely seeing that one. Uh, it's one of my most anticipated of the year, and I've uh, uh, it's one of mine as well. Ever since uh, was it Josh and Kagan were talking about it? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, with, with with Sundance, I'm really anxious to see this. Yeah, I mean, I saw I saw a trailer for it a long time ago. And I was like, wow, you can tell. I mean, it was like a teaser type trailer and you could just tell from the feeling. Now, see that feeling that you get when you watch that. You're like, whoa, this is definitely a horror film. Like I'm feeling it tonally, you know, amazing. Anyway, speaking of upcoming films, I just want to ask you real quick about um, what did you think of the new Suspiria trailer? You know, I thought it was interesting. Um, there were a few, looked like some creepy image, imagery, some creepy imagery in there. Mm-hmm. Um, a little, uh, definitely different from the first one. Didn't you get the feeling like it was sort of muted? I think with the colors and why. I think one of the big things was Suspiria was how beautiful the movie was. Yeah, Argento's like, I mean, he's got some vivid. He's a visual artist. He really is. Right. This one seemed almost a little muted, didn't it? Yeah, I, I see that. But I, yeah, the colors aren't as vibrant in the trailer, at least. But it, it also appears to be like, you know, the mise-en-scene and stuff. Like, it, it appeals. It, it's like they, they put together an artistic portrait in each of the mm-hmm. scenes. So I feel like it looks well, like an true. art so that, film. So that, that, that's probably good. That's probably where they're keeping with his mm-hmm. uh, influence. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm interested. I'm really intrigued. Oh, me now, too. Wasn't David Gordon green attached to this at some point. Yeah. Initially, like he was um, one of the first ones, but now the director is uh, Luca. Uh, Gu- Sorry. I'm going to butcher this name. Guadagino. Guadagnino or something like that. Um, He's from Italy. And um, he's the one that did uh, Call Me By Your Name, which really got a lot of praise. Oh, Um, it did. That was it was a good movie. That was that was a uh, that was a a good movie. It was up for Oscar. That was the one up for Best Picture, right? This last year. I I believe so. Yeah. And I haven't seen it, but I've heard great things. So that is a very beautiful movie. mm -hmm. And a lot of that had to do with where it was shot the the town they shot on location certainly helped uh you know make that a beautiful movie um visually so this guy does know how to uh how to put together a a very visually appealing film yeah well i agree with that and um you know even though looking over his filmography i i don't i'm not seeing at least a lot of like horror type work but I, I do think that just judging by like what you were saying with how beautiful his other film is, if he can put together and the way the trailer looks, if he can put together a really artistically, you know, pleasing and aesthetically 
pleasing type of film, then I think it, that's going to be part of the battle. Because anybody that's going to do a remake of Suspiria, they're going to judge it against the visuals that Argento gave us, right? I, I think I think that's just that's natural. Yeah, that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, but you know, I, I'm just hoping because, as everybody knows, I don't love the original Suspiria and, and primarily it's only because of the pacing. Like I feel like it's really slow and there's not a lot of, um, a lot of horror in it for me, for my taste, like in terms of horror payoff. Now I know I said that about cargo at the beginning of this film, but the difference there is I feel like the story that's being told in cargo, um, it is actually, it, it necessitates, you know, that sort of, taking of time whereas in Suspiria given given the circumstance of of you know where she is and what's going on around her I feel like we could have gotten more horror and so I'm hoping I'm hoping that uh Luca here strays a, a little bit and gives us a little more on the scare side of things what do you say Dave Oh yeah definitely I I and I think just from again just from the little bit I got in the trailer he might be doing that. Yeah. You know, and I am a fan of, of Suspiria. I really do like Suspiria, but I can't say that it extends to the other movies in that. Um, what is that? The, uh, the three mothers, mm-hmm. uh, like Inferno. I like Inferno. I don't know that I love Inferno. And of course we've gone over back and forth about mother of tears. <laughs> I know. I know. It's a good know. one. Okay. Well, <laughs> Dave, whatever you say. Dave doesn't like Mother of Tears, no, but I, I do. Like everybody at all. No. But anyway, um, but I did like Suspiria. Uh, but I don't know, you know. So I'll be interested to see. I'm interested to see what he keeps from Argento's and, and what what's changed. Mm-hmm. You know, because I'm wondering if he does have a little bit more of the horror in there. Yeah. Well, you know what might be interesting is to to approach that as a versus episode where we would like to review our Argento's Suspiria and then and then this new one back to back. So maybe oh, a versus, yeah, that would be great. Maybe a versus there. So we'll see if what Josh thinks about that too. But like maybe we could tackle it that way if I can stay awake for the first one. I'm <laughs> just I'm just messing. But, but anyway, I, I, I am. Uh, no, I'm hopeful. Actually, I I don't. It's not like I like automatically, you know. Uh, I'm not doubting this film. I mean, I hope it's great. I mean, it's got Tilda Swinton in it, and you know, many people always comment that you know she's a little, she's a little frightening on some level, you know. And then we got me. She can be. She's a really, <laughs> really very good actress, though. I mean, there's a movie that I saw, and I always tell people about it, called The Deep End from 2001 I want to say it is and it's a family it's a family drama thriller um you know not a horror movie but she is the star and it's the first movie I think I saw where she was the main star and mm-hmm. she does a really good job carrying the film she's this mother um her husband's in the military he's never around and she's dealing with all of these family issues plus trying to deal with the fact someone's trying uh, is blackmailing her son so, um, and what the length she was willing to go to, to protect her son, including breaking the law, mm-hmm. uh, it's a very, very 
interesting movie. It gets very intense at the end. Uh, and she's great in it. And I always think of that when I think of of Tilda Swinton and and just, you know, how how good she can really be. What was the name of that one again, Dave? The Deep End. The Deep End. Okay. okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, she's interesting. And then another actress, you know, Mia Goth. Uh, Josh has talked about this before as well. I mean, she has done some pretty wild stuff along the way. I mean, I, I mean, she's she seems to be one of those um, actors who's not afraid to throw herself into the role, so to speak. And so, um, you know, I I'm expecting good things from her in this film too. And and then Dakota Johnson. Well, I mean, we'll see. I mean, I, I, I kind of like her, even though, like, the Fifty Shades stuff is oh, yeah. silly to me. But, like, um, <laughs> but otherwise, I, I want to like Dakota Johnson. But uh-huh. anyways, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Fingers crossed on that, right, Dave? Yeah, absolutely. But that's slated for, what, a like a November release of this year? So that's coming up. I think so, yeah. It's right. not October. What'd you say? It's a shame not in October. Yeah, I mean, they're just missing Halloween. I think the date is slated for November 2nd at this point, but, wow. but we'll see about that. Okay, Dave, so um, we're going to wrap up pretty soon here, but before we go, I'd like to bring you Jay of the Dead's Beastly Freaks. Jay of the Dead's Beastly Freaks. Here's one that I've been curious about for a while, and it's called Primal Rage. This is a new 2018 film, and it was uh, directed by Patrick McGee and um, written by Patrick and Jay. Jay Lee was the other co-writer. This stars Casey uh, Gigliardi and Andrew Joseph Montgomery. And basically what you have here, this dude, he gets out of prison. It's not exactly like the opening of Ocean's Eleven, but it's kind of the same thing where he gets out of the prison and his wife picks him up and and they drive away and they're they're driving up through the Pacific Northwest. And the first thing I want to say is this this girl, Casey, she's very likable, I I think. In my opinion. I mean, she's she's really gotten her life together. She's a mom. They've got a kid together. The husband got, you know, sent away and he was in prison for like a little over a year or something, almost two years. And so she was trying to like put her life back in order and, you know, really have her stuff together. And she was hopeful that he was ready to, you know, live life again and, you know, be a responsible person. Well, as they're driving, um, <laughs> they, uh, they basically, this is in the opening more or less. They, they hit someone and, um, there's someone on the road and this person is already like really mangled and, and chewed up and stuff. And you can tell that, it, you know, the damage to this person's body was not just solely from the car wreck. And, and then we see Dave, um, the subjective point of view, the monster point of view from the woods and we hear it breathing. And so this is a beastly freak. There is a monster in the woods and, um, more, I mean, this is, I, I mean, if you, so I just got to give people a little heads up on this. Um, this is along the lines of um, a, a Sasquatch type of movie, okay? And there have been more and more of those of late, right? And 
there are some things I really got to praise about this, which is like they they go they go they really go for it when it comes to the gore and stuff. Like they try to do some kills that are creative or at least show you a lot of um you know insanity and it's pretty gory. So that's that's cool. That's something to respect. But um, in a Beastly Freaks flick, Dave, the look of the creature is always like, you know, kind of a make or break for me because it really depends on the creature. And so the way this thing looks here is, um, <laughs> do you remember Harry and the Hendersons, Dave? It, I sure do. Yep. Uh, okay, it's it doesn't look quite like Harry and the Hendersons, it but doesn't look like Harry. No, but it is. It is. It's obviously a person in a suit. And what what bothers me about it? There are just two things that really bother me. This creature is a little, you know, higher on the spectrum of, um, you know, just being like aware and being a sentient being right so this this creature can use weapons and things like that so it's not just you know a beast strictly and and so it has like for lack of a better word what i would call is like a like armor but it's it's not armor it's tree bark so you know like a knight would wear um armor on its back and on its face but this this does tree bark and and I guess that's kind of a cool idea, but the the look of it is very odd, and 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 it it doesn't work for me. And the eyes are glowing red. So even later, when we have like the predator type of moment, and we see what this thing really looks like without the tree bark on it, then you still have those um, pretty artificial red glowing. <laughs> well, they're not glowing, but it has the red eyes, and it it just doesn't quite work. But let me just say, in addition to the violence and stuff and, and the gore, it does go some crazy places. Like, you know, there there's a point in the film getting toward the end. You're like, are they going to go there with this? Are they actually going to do that with this creature? And it's like, yep, they do. I mean, they're not explicit with it, but um, the cre- they have the creature doing some things. You're like, well, <laughs> they went there. You know, they did that. There's also... A- very weird. There's a there's a witch character in this. This actually has a witch in it. Um, and even though it's a mask, okay, clearly the person's wearing a mask. But um, the witch is very freaky looking. For whatever reason, it reminds me a little bit of a uh, you know Pumpkinhead. You know the the lady in Pumpkinhead. Oh, okay, yeah. <clears throat> it reminds me a little bit of that, except she is pretty like. She's pretty monstrous, like the way her teeth look. And she has a very almost cliche, like her, her witch nose is very like pointy and it points down. And um, they even have her cackling. And and so, but she still looks pretty freaky. I mean, I would be freaked out. What bothers me, though, is you have a character who encounters her in the daylight and sees her and, and does not even react one bit. I mean, doesn't, I mean, if you saw a person like that, you would like, you know, even if you're being polite, you would probably do a little bit of a double take because like she, she looks pretty hideous and monstrous, but, um, he's just like, you know, what ifs, you know, <laughs> so, so that kind of bugs me. <laughs> so there are dumb scenes and then like, in terms of like, there's a stinger that you should wait around for involving that witch. That's one of the, 
like the silliest stingers I've ever seen. It made me laugh, actually. It's supposed to be kind of freaky, but it makes me laugh. And so, anyways, Primal Rage is a mixed bag for sure. It's not great, but I still kind of liked it. I mean, if the creature looked better, if they didn't have the red eyes and the, the tree bark on it, and it, you know, didn't look like a big, clearly a big suit, you know, like a gorilla suit or something, then it would have worked way better for me. <laughs> and now I'm sorry. I mean, I that sounds really jerky critical, but I mean, the creature doesn't totally work. But anyway, it's still fun. And so with, you know, given all the other things I said, I mean, I, I still call this a 6.5 out of 10. And I think it's worth a rental, but just, just know, you know, you're not, you're not going to be watching a good movie, but you're going to be watching, you know, an intriguing little beastly freak flick. All right. So there you have it, David. What do you think? Interesting. Yeah. (laughs) You're like, you're like, well, we'll see if we get to that one of these days. Right. (laughs) I mean, the two movies from this show, I think that from after listening to you, it's definitely cargo and upgrade oh yeah are the two that i can't wait to to see now i agree i agree 100 percent. and listeners you can watch cargo right now on netflix or you can go to the theater right now and see upgrades so do it all right and at this point in episode 148 of horror movie podcasts i'm joined finally by the wolfman josh legary welcome sir Jay, we're here to investigate a patient who killed three teenagers on Halloween back in 1978. (laughs) Yes, we are. So, Josh, everything that the listeners just heard, all that stuff with Dave and me, we recorded that on like a a Wednesday night, right? And then you you were not able to join us um, because you were very busy and we also had some... Uh, technical difficulties and so forth as usual. I, I, there's a whole list, but but then Friday, and I, tried. I, I really tried. You, I was I was I was on a beach on the coast of Oregon, trying to figure out how to hook my phone up to ZenCaster, and then trying to get my Skype to work on my phone. But I was <laughs> locked out of all my accounts. It was it was yeah. a mess. But yeah, uh, I'm here now. Yeah, I can I can attest like. Of of all the podcasters I know, one of the podcasters who has the most heart listeners is uh, Josh Legary, and uh, he did try that night. But anyways, I'm happy to report that because of that that following weekend, which is now just, it's Monday as we record this, so the previous weekend, we had the release of the Halloween trailer, and then we also had the release of Hereditary, and so we're like, you know what? This is stuff that we must discuss, and we must get it into the episode. So we delayed the episode. So apologies for the delay. But uh, Joshua, you're one of the biggest Halloween fans I know, and I am. I've been dying to hear what you thought of this trailer. You know, when it first came out, people were asking us for our reactions. I did have access to Twitter uh, where I was, and um, Dave, you know, tweeted out to us in a word, "Wow." And, and my reaction was simply best case scenario, because I think <laughs> um, when we when you have a beloved franchise like this, you want to see it in good hands mm-hmm. and nothing is going to please everybody. So, you know, you're, you can't expect that everybody's going to be happy about a property like this being developed in our in our modern times. You don't just look at uh, the way Ryan Johnson 
you know, was treated post the last Jedi, you, you know, you can bring in an extremely talented filmmaker who tries to bring in something fresh to the table while still honoring the original. And he is mm-hmm. murdering childhoods. And so, yeah, side note know, on that, that was a damn yeah. shame <laughs> that, that he was treated that way is what I'm oh, saying. Absolutely. Yeah. I yeah. mean, cause, cause yeah, even though I didn't agree with all of his choices, I, right, I, I respected, I respected what he did. Just putting it out uh, there. Absolutely. Sorry. No, I agree with you. I, I I don't love everything he did, but I feel like he did a, a better job than we could have ever expected at the same time. So <laughs> right. I feel somewhat similarly about this Halloween trailer. I think there are shots in this trailer. There are storylines in this trailer that don't immediately appeal to me. Mm-hmm. But knowing who David Gordon Green is as a filmmaker, yes. having seen his films like Joe and Undertow and Snow Angels and George Washington and knowing what he can do, even Prince Avalanche, which is a comedy, imagining Michael Myers in that kind of gritty, and a lot of people are going to not like this, art house world Mm -hmm. is extremely appealing to me as a a Halloween fan, a long time, lifelong Michael Myers and Halloween fan. And it's like, okay, they're going to change some things here. This is maybe not going to be the Michael Myers we're used to, but it's not Halloween four, five, six, seven, eight. <laughs> like there have been a lot of bad Halloween iterations. I personally, I subscribe to the sisters trilogy as we've talked about many times on the show, mm-hmm. Halloween one, two and H two O. That's my favorite run. I also like four and five is kind of their own thing. Mm-hmm. Not a fan of six, but the thing is, is like the continuity is so messed up in this trilogy. We've had a complete reboot of this trilogy with the Rob Zombie films. Mm-hmm. And I would say the second Rob Zombie film, in my opinion, being among the worst of the Halloween movies out there. I know that's also, you know, there are people who defend that film. Right. Which is there are people who defend Halloween three. Yeah. But for me, uh, you know, to go back now to that original continuity is a treat to have John Carpenter on board is a treat as both a consultant executive producer and doing the score Mm -hmm. and for him to be able to see fixed a thing that he brought to the franchise, but ultimately regretted this idea of Michael being uh, Lori's brother. Mm -hmm. That's also exciting. And, and I also, I, you know, we've seen a lot of comedians do well with horror in the last year with Jordan Peele and John Krasinski. So I love the idea that Danny McBride, who's a longtime horror fan, is bringing his sensibilities to a film like this, which are very, very dark sensibilities. If you've seen his stuff like Eastbound and down or vice principles, I mean, he's, (laughs) he's a messed up individual. So it's pretty exciting. I think as a horror fan to see a film um, in this world. So, you know, as I mentioned, huge David Gordon green fan, there are some of his films, you know, that I could do without, you know, I don't, I don't love everything he's done, but I also feel like if we can get a Joe with Michael Myers, I'm willing to take a little bit of uh, our brand as crisis, which is what I think we see in some of those documentary filmmaker kind of scenes. They feel a little arch um, yeah. for what we would think of as a grounded, gritty movie. But I just trust David Gordon Green, frankly, and I trust John Carpenter, and I like what Jason Blum and Ryan Turk are doing. Mm-hmm. I know that Turk is a lifelong Halloween fan, and so I'm pretty enthused about what we're seeing here with these movies. So I just want to talk about a couple of things you said there, Josh. I, I like what you're saying, because, yes, I agree with you. The The number one 
thing that gives me hope in this movie and makes me actually genuinely excited is David Gordon Green. I've been a fan of his since George Washington and yep. from 2000. And yeah, not a horror film, but the reason I like that film, the reason I was actually made aware of it was because Roger Ebert loved it so much. But then when I saw films like Undertow, which you mentioned, that's one of my favorites of his, and Snow Angels, that, that movie is um, devastating for me. Uh, oh, Snow- completely devastating. Yeah, yeah and, and the fact that he can handle something like that, and I'm with you on Joe. You and I both love Joe. So the fact that he can do Joe and Snow Angels and Undertow, I mean, those three films are enough for me to to have full confidence in, in what he can do. Now, what I wanted to ask you, though, is how how much influence, like what do you feel that John Carpenter's input's going to put into this? Like what do you think he's going to be able to contribute do you think he's going to have a very light touch or do you think that he'll be um you know, i know we're speculating but do you think it'll be a lot of a lot of counsel from him i mean i think john carpenter has been famously very hands-off in the halloween franchise since part three um but i do think that he has become more invested in his films again in the last couple of years due to all of the homages that have been coming out in the last like three to five years of people just really praising him as a master, you know, that and his Renaissance, I think largely due to his musical tour as well. I think he's become in contact with his fans again for the first time in a long time. I think he's really starting to accept and feel his place in horror cinema history. And I think a lot of these films that felt like huge failures to him during his career, like the thing he's now able to, understand like how what what a big impact those films had on (laughs) on the world right yeah and so i do think he's in a better place kind of emotionally than this is so like you know dime store therapist type of stuff but right but just what i've gleaned from reading his interviews because i'm a huge fan and i follow him on twitter and i read everything that he that he writes and i listen to his interviews and and so you know my sense is that he is starting to care again, I think for the first time. Mm -hmm. And um, I do think he is pretty hands off still. I mean, I, there was an article from um, bloody disgusting, did a set visit to the Halloween set and I'll link all those. I'll get you the links to all those for the show notes for this episode. It's really cool. I mean, they are, there are a lot of probably storyline spoilers in there. So you, you know, tread lightly, but there are interviews with Jamie Lee Curtis, David Gordon Green, Danny McBride, uh, one of the people who plays The Shape, and the guy who made The Mask. And lots of awesome information for people who just can't get enough of that kind of like movie gossip type news. Mm-hmm. And for me, you know, I, I usually avoid that kind of stuff, but I just couldn't do it. When I saw all those articles about Halloween, I had to read them. And, um, you know, John Carpenter <laughs> went to set. And he's committed. He he loves music right now, and he's committed to doing the music. Um, and you know, but the, but one of the interviews with David Gordon Green said, you know, you know, we pitched the movie to him, and we weren't going to move ahead unless he gave us a green light. And so they pitched him, and I guess Carpenter gave him a few notes, and so they were really nervous to see the notes that Carpenter gave. But he said they were pretty, they sounded like they're pretty broad. And one of the specifics that he gave is make it scary, make it relentless. Mm -hmm. And 
they took that to heart and that was one of their, you know, driving um, kind of goals as they made the movie. Yes, sir. And so just knowing David Gordon Green's background of as just like the most gritty, realistic kind of stuff you'll ever see. And of course, he's made some silly stuff too, like Pineapple Express. But really, I think who he is as a filmmaker, like the personality that he goes to in his original work, I think you can really see in something like all the real girls or mm-hmm. you know the movies we've mentioned which are just slice of life reality based films and if you imagine laurie strode and michael myers and terrifying situations in that kind of world i don't know it's something about that combination to me sounds fantastic i so. agree i agree because yeah there is a there's a degree to which uh, halloween the original halloween feels like slice of life like you know like the way that's all set up on you know, the babysitting and Halloween night and getting ready for, you know, it all feels slice of life. So I, I agree with that. Um, and you mentioned Danny McBride and I've heard interviews with him and you know how we horror fans tend to uh, judge one another. Like, like, yeah. like in a way, like it's like, it, it's funny. Uh, this cracks me up, but I, I do it too, to be honest with you. Just today, there was a guy in a, uh, a Nosferatu t-shirt and, and and I'm like a cool shirt and he and he's like oh yeah thanks and I'm like so you obviously you're a horror fan you know like asking him testing the water he's like yeah kind of I saw it and I thought it was a cool shirt and it's like you ain't a horror fan keep that shirt off you know like <laughs> I'm just I mean I didn't really feel that way Josh but I'm just saying um, oh you did no I mean <laughs> we all support it <laughs> yeah inside like, yeah, in I mean, I was nice to the guy, obviously, but we do kind of judge, like, people's level of um, horror fandom. And so when I heard Danny McBride in uh, these interviews, and I wish I could cite the ones I heard, um, he strikes... I know, we played in, I know we played an interview with Empire Magazine on the show, mm-hmm. a little clip from that interview. Maybe that's what you're referring to. That's right. There's that one. But... um. It seems to me that I've heard other things. See, I'm not sounding very effective. Like, I can't remember. But I remember thinking, you know what? Um, This dude seems like he's legit horror fan. Like, he really digs it. You know, he's really into it. And so, the fact that you've got that, and then, and it's like, how, how much confidence do we have in Danny McBride's ability to write a screenplay? I mean, how much confidence? Um, I, I, th- I feel much better knowing that his uh, co-writer is David Gordon Green, who does sure. wonderful job on screenplays. I mean, I think Danny McBride is a hilarious screenwriter, but I do think, I don't know if you've ever seen like Vice Principles, but it gets to some serious dark humanity in <laughs> in that show for okay. a comedy, you know, like it's, it's pretty dark. And so I, I believe in him as a screenwriter and yeah, he talked about in one of those interviews, he talked about how he doesn't even watch comedies. The only thing he watches are documentaries and horror films. So of course that appealed to me. <laughs> and, um, and one other thing that I remember from that interview that you, I think you liked is that he said he wants to get back to Michael Myers, who is just like the idea of like, you're taking your garbage out and he's standing there in the shadows at night. Like mm-hmm. just the creepiness of that kind of situation. He wanted to get back to that where it's 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 not you know the butchering as much as it is the terror of this guy and david gordon green talked about the way that michael is shot in that original film and how the camera obscures 
him and how we don't know anything about his backstory. And that's fine. And how we don't need to know about his backstory. He's just this killing machine. And I like that aspect as well. And and they've talked about taking, you know, they, uh, you know, for those who don't know, and, and it's, I think it's a mild spoiler to say, and it's actually important to understand about the film is that they are, completely retconning the franchise and basically erasing every movie after the original film and just saying, this is a sequel to the 1978 film as though no, none of the others existed. Mm-hmm. And so they've talked about just wanting to see the effects of the 1978 film 40 years later, who where are those people, where are those characters and what would the world be like, you know, in Haddonfield following that kind of tragedy. Do they end up at um, Daniel LaRusso's car dealership? I hope so. I really, I really hope so. Just messing. Karate Kid joke there for everybody. Now, um, check out Cobra Kai. Cobra Kai, that's right. But I like how he kind of talks about um, the idea that that they were going to pick up with the tone of that original film and not really reference the Michael Myers we've come to know, who I think is a little more brutal. And this is a more curious Michael a little more childlike Michael in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. um, but also just this enigma. It's a shape. I mean, he, ref- you know, David Gordon Green referenced the shape and he said, I think he was the shape for a reason, you know, and they wanted to go back to that tone that was set in that first film and just carry that over. Right. As though this is the next installment of that. So, yes. And, and see that, that, that gives us confidence as well. And, and you know, something else is the fact that Nick Castle is, <laughs> Cast as Michael Myers. I I also feel I feel like that is an attention to detail. So you got John Carpenter on the soundtrack, Nick Castle's Michael Myers. I feel like these are things that are um, reassuring, and and it yeah. should give us confidence. Now here's here's what I'm going to ask you, Josh. I love to ask you to like mind read everybody, but um, <laughs> what is your feeling on this with the, the horror community? So because we've got it's like it's like your example of the last Jedi with Ryan Johnson there were some people I mean that film is now canon that is Star Wars episode 8 and there were some people like that's not my Star Wars it's not actually you know yeah. so so when when this comes out if people aren't pleased with the direction even though it has Jamie Lee Curtis Curtis and Nick Castle a lot of John Carpenter, like his soundtrack, some of his influence, so forth. Even though it has all like a lot of legit elements, do you do you feel like there will still be people who who disregard and dismiss this film? For sure, oh, for sure. Because really? I think I mean I I do think <clears throat> there's those horror fans that we seem to be in complete terror of on the show because we talk about them all the time. (laughs) Those who, you know, I, I kind of, I guess whose sensibilities are tied to 80 slashers and that's kind of it, you know? And I think those are the, the types of horror fans who have long, at least in our communication as we've been podcasting been talked about as kind of classic horror fans. And I just think um, those type of people are just not into innovation in a lot of ways in my opinion they're not into the evolution of the genre and i know that all of us also have our own biases and you know want to see horror in a pure form but i also feel like we're pretty open-minded and we want to see um how the genre evolves and you know and different approaches to it and 
I think we all just appreciate cinema in general as well, like on the broader spectrum, not just horror. And so I think, I think that maybe that allows for it as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think those horror fans are might, you know, the fans maybe who preferred Rob Zombie's brutality or, or even the brutality in Halloween two or, or four, five and six will maybe be disappointed in, at a return to a slower paced, um, you know, less gory film. And and that's fine, actually. You know, and I find myself in that camp a lot of times when we watch a horror film. I say, I love the slow pace. I loved the character development. I would have liked a little more intense intensity and gore. I think that could have added to the horror for me. So I, you know, I find myself in that camp too, but I guess I'm just, um, and you know, I'm probably even an outlier on the other end of the spectrum where I like to see film experimentation. I like people to see people trying new things and, um, no one's ever going to be happy. Like I said, at the beginning of this, <laughs> people are going to complain about it. No matter what the good thing is, this doesn't erase the other movies. It does for the purposes of this film. But if you want to watch Halloween resurrection, you can still go see Halloween resurrection. Right. You know? That's right. And, it still exists. And there's, there's very few people I think who are going to be able to argue that. And I, again, there's a sight unseen, but knowing the filmmaker, knowing the people involved and having seen now the trailer, I'll be, shocked if this is worse in most Halloween fans estimation than Halloween resurrection. So, so okay, I mean, okay. we're on, a, we're off to a good start, I think. Uh, yeah. Well, a couple things about what you said. And I, now I consider as far as I'm concerned, I mean, I know like we've, we've got some, some re- really intense and committed fandom here. Like when we're talking about Halloween fans, but like Greg Amortis, yeah. our buddy from land of the creeps, he is without question one of the he's got to be one of the biggest halloween fans in existence same yeah. thing with ha- haddonfield hatchet i know he loves ha- halloween as well and those dudes i would consider them as like you know the the quote unquote classic horror fans and i think right. that they i bet you that they will appreciate and enjoy this film they'll probably have you know qualms here and there kind of like we did with the last jedi but I think I bet you they'll appreciate it a, a good bit. I think so too. And you know, those guys, you know, I mean, yeah, I think Greg's a great example of someone though, who is more open-minded. Like he likes movies from the twenties and thirties, you know, he mm-hmm. is interested in, in the evolution of the genre too. And so I, I, you know, I think there are people who maybe immediately seem like the quote unquote hardcore horror fan who um, have a little more depth and breadth too. Mm-hmm you know, their tastes, but they're, you know, look, they're just going to be some people who want to hate this movie from the outset. And right. And I, th- and knowing David Gordon green, I think he will give them plenty of things to hate, honestly, <laughs> hey, because that's just, he's not like a, a filmmaker for the masses for the most part. Again, he's agreed. done a couple of mainstream films, but even pineapple express, although it's a big broad comedy is not like a mainstream movie. It's a pretty weird, quirky film. If you think about it. Mm-hmm. So, but but I think weird. I, I agree with what you're saying because he is a very artistic type of director. But I honestly yeah. think that quirky and weird can really lend themselves well to the horror genre. But what I, I think what puzzles me, Josh, though, because I agree with everything you're saying, and I think that you're right on the money. But if this film ends up as we suspect, if it ends up matching kind of the pacing and the tone and the flavor and the Michael Myers that we see with the original 1978, if it matches that, 
then I, I just I have trouble understanding why people would have qualms with it. Like, you know, I haven't seen it yeah. either, obviously, and, and may, maybe it'll be a disaster. I seriously doubt it. But I really think that we're in for a genuinely decent horror film here. I hope so. I hope so. You know, I mean, yeah, I mean, people just want more gore and more boobs and less story and less characters and <laughs> faster pace. And that's just the reality of the general movie going audience, let alone the general horror audience, I think. But mm. okay. I think, you know, the there's going to be plenty here to appreciate if if you want to. In my, you know, in my estimation, based on what I, again, what I know of those involved, I, I just have high hopes. And I, and I feel like the trailer didn't disappoint. It, yes, it has this weird kind of arch documentary filmmaker thing that even myself as a documentary filmmaker <laughs> kind of bristle at. I'm like, eh. Explain that a little bit to us in case people aren't following exactly what you mean. I think it was Pastor Matt, one of our listeners, who just said it felt like overproduced. It felt like a little on the nose. For me, for me it feels a little arch. You've got this documentary filmmaker in the trailer who's they're there to do a story about this killer, Michael Myers. Mm -hmm. and so they're going to confront him in, you know, in the uh, mental asylum with his mask. And that's what we see in the opening shots of this trailer. And it just is a bit, it, it's like, <laughs> why would you provoke Michael Myers like that? Like yeah. what, like who well, would do on that? One hand, yes. On the other hand, if you're a shock journalist, of course that's what you're going to do. Like it's the it's the most obvious move for a shock journalist. So it it, it makes sense in reality in, in that way. It just is not like the type of storyline. I guess that's the one element that really does not feel at all like the original film. It feels totally like a modern contrivance. Feels maybe even closer to Halloween Resurrection. I, than I agree with that. Other elements. And so it's a little surprising to see that in there, but um, I don't know everything that they've ever said about this project from the start of Jason Blum getting the rights to this, every statement Blumhouse has made, every move they've made has been, in my opinion, like the right move for fans mm -hmm. and the right, you know, the, the right move for a quality film. And so, yeah, I just, I'm, Hoping for the best. Well, Wolfman, do you think it could be a misdirect? Because we live in a day and age where, like, we have scenes shown in trailers that aren't actually in the film just to kind of, you know, show you material but also throw you off. Like we've seen with Avenger Avengers Infinity War. I mean, we have sure. scenes in that that don't even exist within the, the movie itself. What do you think? Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's possible and i think um that would be funny if that if that's not in the movie at all i think what it looks like to me is it's the way my it's what leads to michael getting out of the asylum you know what i mean like that's right that's probably the extent of what we're looking at there but mm -hmm. okay. i also just trust jamie lee curtis i mean i think she stayed away from the franchise for a long time she came back for h2o h2o is one of my my second favorite installment in the franchise mm -hmm. and i think what she brought to the storytelling there was great for the laurie strode character i think we're going to see a different version of that here she has talked about trauma being the thing that was her guiding light when they made H2O and that that is a big part of what she wanted to explore here again. So I think we are going to see echoes of all of those other films, you know, uh, th at least the things that the, that those guys responded to. 
But I think this, this is a nice way to kind of have your cake and eat it too, where you can wipe the slate clean, uh, do your own thing and still pay homage. And I think, I feel like we're going to see a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. Now, um, just to mention a couple other actors here. You know what it reminds me of? Actually, it reminds me of the Star Trek reboot, how they have used time travel <laughs> to kind of say like this still exists, but it's like on its own timeline. So we can kind of do anything we want. Uh huh. And yeah, That's neat. I see that. I see what you're saying. Um, so Josh, a couple other actors that make me excited though. Like I love that Will Patton is in this film. Oh baby. I, I mean, seriously, that guy, I mean, I, I just, I feel like he has, um, like a, a presence about him, a, a screen presence where, where he's going to be authentic. He's going to draw us in. And then Judy Greer, I'm, I'm, I know she's been in a lot of silly stuff too, like Arrested Development, but like, I yeah. think of her like in, um, like I loved her, for example, she had a very small role, but I loved her in Jurassic World. I know that sounds silly or the village. <laughs> I mean, I think she's a talented actress. And she's great. The adaptation. Yeah, I mean, she's a, she's a quality actress for sure. Yeah, so I'm, I'm excited about that too. Now, um, you know, here's what I propose. Now, I'm sure the horror community is going to get behind this and support it. I'm sure everybody's going to go see it in the theater. But you know what I'm kind of secretly hoping? As long as this film is not an abomination, okay? Like, as long as it's not like... Like offensively, you know, against <laughs> our grain, you know, I think people should see it multiple times in the theater just to send a message. It's like, hey, this is a Michael Myers film. Um, this is Halloween. It's done, presumably. Let's just assume it's going to be done right. Then I think we should try to buoy it, buoy it up as much as possible. What do you think about that, Josh? I'm all for it. I'm yeah, I'm sure I'll see it multiple times, you know, and I think we saw that with films like It Follows and you know, more recently with A Quiet Place or or uh, Get Out where people went many many times and that really helped the numbers of those films and and really put horror on the map. It same thing, people saw it multiple times in the theaters. I think that's great. I hope we can continue to support horror and show the studios Hey, get your stuff together. Make another Jason Voorhees movie and figure out this rights issue. There's an audience clamoring for this stuff. And, right. And do it well and do it right and hire the right people. And you know, I, I hope um, I hope we continue to see the rise. Before <laughs> it's doing really well right now, and I'd like to see more of that. Yeah, I'd like to see this be the new record breaker. I mean, I'd like to see it take the the horror record. I think that would be interesting. One last. You don't thing. think it's going to be Suspiria? What? What do you? Well, <laughs> I mean, no. That trailer actually looks. That trailer looks good too. But, oh yeah. But um, I, agree. I mean, it looks quite good. But yeah, I, I would just like to see this take. It's not going to pull as many people for sure. <laughs> no, but. no, because yeah, well, well, because the first one's kind of a snooze fest. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just, I'm just trying to mess with people. <laughs> now, let me talk about one more. Since we talked about spe- a little bit of specifics, one more specific scene. That I that I noticed in the trailer that really um, this is what excited me most. Okay, yep. I haven't watched the trailer like five thousand times, like a lot of people, because part of me actually I didn't watch it the first couple of days because at first 
I was hearing pe- I was at work right when it dropped or whatever. Yeah. And you know, I wasn't going to watch it on my phone or you know, I wanted to watch it in the right space and time and so forth. But then yeah. I started hearing people say, "Oh, it shows a lot." You know, there's spoilers in the trailer and and then I'm like, "Well, maybe I could just try to keep myself unspotted and go into this blind, you know." But then I'm like, "No, nah, there's no way cuz it's just going to be too much too much buzz." So when I finally did watch it, um something that it actually struck me as scary like i felt some chill in my bones when when he's outside that if i recall correctly i've only watched it like twice he's outside that bathroom stall and he's banging on the door to get in and then he starts slamming his head into it right (laughs) which again is like to me feels like a mix between halloween h2o scene and rob zombie halloween scene but with a little bit of a twist too. It was like, wow, this is new and old. Something old, something new, something borrowed and bloody. (laughs) I do. I just, there was something about that that like unsettled me a little bit and I thought it was pretty creepy. So I'm like, okay, this, I think this film is going to work on me and um, I'm looking forward to it. So it's October 19th, right? And, uh, oh baby. Yep. Yep. We're going to do this. (laughs) I can't wait. Okay, anything so else you want to say about the Halloween trailer? I mean, we could go through and dissect it shot by shot, but a million people have done that already. Go find a good YouTube video for that. And definitely write in with your thoughts on anything you want to mention to us um, at horrormoviepodcast.com and the show notes for this episode. And we will respond to that stuff if there are things people are really excited about talking about. But I think we were talking a little more broadly and not necessarily the specifics of mm-hmm. the trailer. But... um I'd love to hear what people think about it. Of course, we got a lot of tweets about it and it seems like almost everyone is excited. I've seen a couple of people mention, you know, the same thing. The documentary team seems a little much, but yeah, I I don't want to see that. It it seems like a setup for like even a found footage esque approach, which, you know, even three years ago, I would have been super excited about like, let's see that version, like anything to get a new movie. You know, we had talked about that with the Friday the 13th franchise as well. When they were talking about doing a found footage, Jason Voorhees movie. And that's just like, yeah, sure. But when we have the opportunity to have something so fresh mm-hmm. and new, I, I don't want them to go down that road in this case. So I'm hoping that will either be a minor element or they'll figure out a better way to handle it. Yeah. I hope so too. I'm with you. All right. Well, that's our. We, we spent at least like at least thirty minutes talking about the Halloween trailer. So, I hope that will appease the Halloween fans out there. Right? Look, the, it looks cool. The mask looks cool. Yes. You know, it's it's going to be a good time. I hope they use that Trent Reznor. I mean, I know that John Carpenter's back, but you know, just last year, um, Trent Reznor released his kind of cover of the Halloween theme song. I hope that makes it in somewhere into the film maybe closing credits or something mm-hmm. yeah exactly all right so that's uh halloween 2018 trailer it's the first one and um and now josh what's the rule on trailers do they do they always drop like two or three trailers for for movies like what how does that work do you know I don't think there's any hard and fast rule. D- different people handle them differently. Usually we would get a teaser way ahead of the trailer, but I think there was such an uproar from the fans wanting to see footage of this, that um, such a clamoring that 
they kind of pushed, forced their hand a little bit at Blumhouse to release this earlier than they had planned on doing. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, who knows? I hope we don't get. I mean, this is a pretty long trailer. This almost feels like the final trailer we would get. You know? Yeah. Like in a series of trailers, this would be the longest <laughs> version we would see. So I, I don't want to see much more of the movie. I feel like I got my fill here. I'm I'm happy about that. I would recommend if people are not totally spoiler averse checking out those articles from bloody disgusting. I'll, I'll get those links to Jay and hopefully those will be, will be in the show notes. You can see what David Gordon green and, and uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, et cetera, have to say about this film while they were making it. Um, that's enough to tide me over to the film. I'm mm-hmm. super excited now. I kind of know what I can expect and I'll be there on opening day mm-hmm. and probably the day after that and yeah. the day after that. <laughs> I know you will. You know, that would be amazing. That would be really fun to have like a contest to see um, which HMP listener sees this film the most in theaters. Like, I'd like to get that number. (laughs) You have to hold up your ticket and a newspaper with the day's date. (laughs) Oh, man. That's going to be funny. Okay. Well, so that that was the first order of business that you and I needed to discuss. And then the second order is an absolute must as far as I'm concerned on this Frankensteinian episode. So Joshua, let's move into our feature review of Hereditary. Come on, Peter. Yes, you're suing. Okay, Josh. Now, I have a couple of questions for you. Now, you're don't be mad at me, okay? So, I did not listen to your first initial time that you talked about this film on this show because didn't you see this at Sundance with Kagan? <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah, this is part of our uh, Sundance coverage. Right, right. Uh, okay. Their horror movie podcast. And, and sometimes it's not cuz I cuz I actually I, I really especially when I'm not on a show I really look forward to like hearing it and enjoying the podcast as a listener. But sometimes, not always, but sometimes with the Sundance coverage, especially since things change a little bit, sometimes I like to, I, I don't know, go in a little more blind. Because I, I saw a trailer of this a while ago, and I was like immediately, actually the first time I saw anything on Hereditary other than seeing it in the show notes... <laughs> is um I saw this really neat it was one of those displays in the movie theater and it was of like the miniature house you know and it showed the family members in it have you seen one of those it's pretty big yeah yeah right and when I saw that and then and then I saw a trailer I'm like oh I think we have something here and I knew that you guys liked it as well now correct me if I'm wrong like when this played initially at Sundance this thing was like three hours long is that right uh, no, the original cut was three hours long. Oh, okay. That wasn't the Sundance, the Sundance cut. No. Oh, okay. Okay. So, so was it the same length then? The, I mean, basically, did you see the same film at some Sundance as they're showing right now in theaters? So I have not actually had a chance to watch it since it's been out in theaters. I have not seen it since January. Oh, so okay. I'd be due to my travel schedule. I am still broadcasting from Oregon, in this case, from a parking lot in my car. But so, yeah, I have not, unfortunately not. And it's not that Oregon doesn't have internet and movie theaters. They do. They have plenty of, them. 
but I just the specifics of my trip have not allowed me to uh, see the movie again. So, no, that's. <laughs> I still wanted to discuss it though because I think there is so much there, um, even without spoilers. Because I really, you know, and I said this when we talked about it for the Sundance coverage. I really discourage people from watching the trailer if they could, because I think the fresher you can go into a film like this, the better. And I think we talked about it pretty generally and we can get into it a little bit more, but I still want to make sure we're very spoiler free. Cause I think mm-hmm. uh, people will appreciate that. Yeah. I'm with you. And in fact, like what I'd love to do with this film is maybe um, talk about it in general terms, as you said, and then, cause I, I don't know that Dr. Shock has had a chance to see this, um, as well. And so I think what would be super cool is if the audience would make sure to work this in if they haven't already and then Dr. Shock work it in. And then maybe on our next Frankensteining episode, we could bust into a, a spoiler discussion even. That's a great idea. Do a little postmortem with Dave, get the listener feedback going, mm-hmm. maybe get, try to get some interview stuff happening. We've kind of talked about that. That could be fun. So. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So I, you know, I'm, I'm very hopeful on that. But yeah, I'm hereditary uh, round three. <laughs> that's right, round three. But no, I'm I'm grateful that you're taking the time on your trip to chat with me about it because I have been dying to discuss this film, and at the very least, in in general terms, as we've said. So, um, for those listeners who have not seen it yet, we are not going to give away uh, spoilers at this time. So don't worry, you're you're safe. But please, by all means, go see this movie as soon as you can before some idiot spoils it for you. Right, Josh? <laughs> okay. Yes. All right. All right. And if you're, if you have seen it, don't be the idiot who's, who spoils it for others. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Please. Now, um, the first thing I like to do in this case is talk a little bit about genre classification and how it plays into this. I feel like, um, our, our good friend Juan in Texas has, um, yeah. uh, take an issue with me a little bit. Um, and so I wanted, <laughs> as usual, you know, like, but I wanted to explain something because I do think it's important. Uh, so when I classify this, I classify this as a, um, and I'm not going to go into all the classifications, Josh. Okay. I'm just going to give a flavor because I feel like, you know, over on a movie podcast weekly, I went a little more into it, but I'm just going to say for right now, it, it's, it's a drama horror film. There are other facets to it, but I'm going to stick to it like that. And uh, okay, and 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 Juan said, and I'm paraphrasing, but he, but he's like, okay, he's, well, let me let me read you his exact quote because I'm looking at it. Yeah, okay, well, read what I said first, I guess. Okay. Um, so which, Jason says here on Twitter, the best horror films are built upon deep sorrow and or deep rage. From these, fear and terror erupt. This deliberately paced drama slash supernatural horror film is chilling and truly troubling. I was a broken man by the 30 minute mark. (laughs) And Juan says, I wholeheartedly agree with you on everything except the unnecessary labeling of it as a drama. You've said in the past, and he's quoting you, I believe here. That's correct. That um, horror is drama magnified. So let's just call it a horror. Mm hmm. Yeah, well, clearly, yes, it is a horror film. There's no doubt about that. But um, I do think that in this case, it's it's important in terms of, because 
my I feel like my role, Josh, is as as a wannabe film critic. My role is to um if I especially if I'm trying to champion a film such as this one, is to yeah. just just temp like prepare people's expectations so they walk into a film with with you know, ready to experience it for what it is. Much like when when I texted you and said, Hey, um, I'm getting ready to watch Hereditary. Uh, remember what you wrote to me? You wrote something like, um, do you have that there by any chance? Uh, I don't remember what, what I said. Uh, you're like, you're like, just, you know, just it's a slow burn, you know, let it, let it burn until it, with it, until it burns all the way through your soul or something. You said something <laughs> hilarious, <laughs> which, which I loved. But honestly, um, for me as a viewer, you know, Number one, I can I can definitely be patient with a slow burn if I think the film is 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 worthy of that patience if it's earning it, which this clearly does. But the Going fact somewhere. that the fact that you told me that, Josh, the fact that you said, "Hey, listen, it's a slow burn, but just stick with it," you know, I mean, I felt like prepared, and even if I hadn't been impressed with the things that I was seeing up front in the film, then I, I would have been like, "Well." you know, I trust Josh's opinion. He said, stick with it. It's going to pay off for me. And then, you know, and so like that, that would actually, I feel like you, by you doing that, it helped enhance my, my viewing of it. But, but the film was earning my attention and my attentiveness right off the bat for sure. Now, now, so when, when I say it's a drama, I do think that for the, whatever you want to call the horror fans who are, um, let's just say, you know, if they want, more action quote unquote or maybe they're basic a, horror fans is what i like to call what them do you now. call them basic horror fans <laughs> <laughs> that's probably a pejorative yes it is <laughs> so you're you, you know people who are a little maybe less patient with with pacing they want more action more as you said more uh what do you say blood guts and boobs and stuff you know yeah it, it, it you know, if, if people are like wanting to go into a theater for that, it's like, no, I'm telling you, it's a drama first and then horror. Anyway, people hate when we talk about classification, but I just think it's essential. Anyway, is- well, I, hold on. Let's 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 just I know maybe people are hating this, but let's just tease this out a little bit because I do. I agree with you. I, I mean, I wonder if this is a Freudian slip on your part. You said your job as a film critic is to you almost said temper expectations. <laughs> <laughs> I wondered in if some that cases was an accident that you said that. <laughs> no, 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 you're right. I was going to say temper. And and in some cases that is what I try to do. Unfortunately, it always backfires on me because if I love a film, I actually end up overselling it and people are expecting way too much. But yeah, if there's a film that I feel like is deserving of appreciation, but people aren't going to give it appreciation, then I do try to temper their expectations. <laughs> like I really do. Yeah. But well, I think as we talked about ad nauseum with the Halloween trailer, I think this is definitely a film that certain horror fans could be very, become very impatient with frustrated with, you know, this has been borne out in the cinema score. I don't know if you've seen that, but the mm-hmm. cinema score for this movie is a D plus. Yes. And if you go to hereditary or sorry, if you go to rotten tomatoes, it has a 59% from the audience rating on Rotten Tomatoes compared to a 92% from the critics. Yeah, travesty. So I, th- I think what we're seeing is, you know, and part of that I think is the advertising, which we talked about when the trailer dropped, 
it's you're setting yourself up for failure when you put in the in the trailer the scariest movie ever made or whatever that they had in there. Right. But but it is pretty damn scary. On the other hand, <laughs> um, I I think I think what you're seeing though is that mainstream people who maybe would go to see a quiet place or happy death day or paranormal activity or saw like just kind of like mainstream bigger horror films are expecting to kind of go in for a typical thrill ride here. And I think what you have here is yes, a movie that's a slow burn. Like we've talked about many of our listeners wrote in to us about this week. This is a film that is filled with dread. And I think that's something that the average audience member who's not, you know, a horror aficionado isn't necessarily ready for that experience. It's pretty overwhelming. I think even for a lot of horror fans, Mm -hmm. this film is pretty overwhelming. And at the same time, I think it's easy if you're someone who maybe is um, more dismissive of the dramatic aspects of this, it's easy to kind of, um, I guess, dismiss those elements of this movie because you're just not, it's not what you're there for. You're waiting for it to kind of pop off. And it does, but it also doesn't in probably the ways that people are expecting. Well, I heard from a lot of people. I think Pastor Matt was one of the people, again, who mentioned this. Like, this was not the movie he thought he was going to see, mm-hmm. you know. And I think the trailer is a little bit misleading. And, and another reason to avoid the trailer, um, Anna Dreadful, I saw her say that she thought the trailer was scarier than the movie, which I completely disagree with. But I think the selling of the film is not the same experience as the mm-hmm. film itself. Yeah, I I'm with you there on that for sure. Well, let's talk. So you said a a couple of amazing things I want to get into here. So first of all, let's talk about the the scariness, okay? And and I think this is a a, a great example of a film where we can actually analyze the the quality of the scare, you know, because because this is a different sort of scary. This is not jump scare scary for right, for me exactly. and and neither is it like um like i feel like the exorcist for example let's take that film the exorcist mm-hmm. is a very surface like visceral in your face scary it, it it is blatantly you know it it's right out front and it it comes to get you so to speak and right. and, mm-hmm. and and so like that might be like a drug i i haven't I haven't had experience with drugs, to be honest, but I'm just saying my understanding is doesn't um, something like cocaine, for example, doesn't that hit you pretty fast and it immediately like there are some drugs that take control really fast and some drugs that are slow acting and they and they get into your system like sludge and then and then they start working on you. And I feel like that's what hereditary does. I think the quality of scare here is that it, it seeps into your body like some sort of infection and, and you're in, you're contagious and infected and you don't even know that you're going to be unsettled and scared for like, you know, the next <laughs> like, like, like little bit of time. And, and that's what happens. It seeps into you and, and starts like unnerving you. I mean, that was my experience with it, Josh. Absolutely. Yeah. It's unnerving is a great descriptor for this film you mm-hmm. know um just i'm sorry to go back to the drama thing i do want just want to mention one more time because i remembered um yeah. our 
our good friend Sal Roma, you know, he tweets out his reviews for films. And this was actually his review for A Quiet Place that he tweeted out last week. But he said, A Quiet Place, probably more drama than horror. But since you're always so fearful of any little noise, it is a scary film. Um, I, that drove me nuts when I read that, Sal, because I, I, I hate, again, I hate this idea that it's more drama than horror. I think when you have a situation as with A Quiet Place where the entire world is scary. Like all of those moments of drama serve to heighten the fear factor. And I think Mm -hmm. a a quiet place in a different way is a film that really relies on that dread and tension. This movie is very different in terms of the vibe, but it also, you could say nothing scary happens for a lot of it. It's a family drama. And those are some of the best parts of the film, but like because of the underlying dread that's there, I felt sick to my stomach for much of the movie. Yeah. You know, and, and I was, it's scary to me, you mm-hmm. know, and the way that it's presented. So, and again, I'm not that scare is necessarily just, you know, a and B synonymous with horror, but I do, you know, obviously it's a big part of it. And I think if we neglect the dread aspect of horror, we're neglecting one of the most important aspects, I think in a great film. Well, let's, Okay, so I, what you're saying leads me into this, Josh, because this is a this is a let's get real again here on the horror movie podcast moment. Like, right. uh, okay, let's 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 put put it all out there. Okay, in in a family, uh, like I know all of us have different backgrounds. We've all had different experiences, but I I would venture to guess that most people have had like traumatic or terrible experiences um like let me this one isn't related to me and maybe this isn't even a good example but i'm gonna try it this didn't happen to me this happened to um one of my cousins okay back in the day in the 80s and i promise I'm, i'm going somewhere good with this back in the 80s when we played the old school uh video game system which was called the atari 2600 there was a video game called Lock and Chase. And that doesn't really matter. It was like a cops and robbers game. But what mattered is my cousin, who's like seven years older than me, he never wanted to play that game. And I, I just, I couldn't understand why. And, 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 I, and I liked it. So I kept wanting to play it. And so one day he told me why he didn't want to play that game. And it was because he had a, a terrible association with it. And at the time... um. Earlier in his life, his father was a, a raging alcoholic. And one time he was playing that particular game and his father took it outside on the porch and like stomped on it. And it was this awful traumatic experience. It was a terrible scene and it stuck with my cousin. And so he had that association with that game of that terrible memory. And, and it was super sad to me. I mean, that's a sad story. And I think everybody who's ever been in a family, like some people's experiences are worse. Some people actually have mm. horror type experiences in terms of like abuse and so forth. Yeah. But even, even if you have a relatively normal family, you still have very upsetting things that happen like blow ups and screaming and disagreements. And, and that is unnerving and unsettling and it sticks with you. You'll have bad dreams. You'll have nightmares about it. And I think that, um, because all of us have that, Josh, it, it, in in some form or another, 
I think a film like Hereditary is a cinematic way to kind of plug into you <laughs> and tap into those experiences where you've had awful things happen with your family because there are strains and 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 awfulness in some of these relationships that are yeah. just I mean it's it's heartbreaking and it's also frightening at the same time. What do you think about that? I think that's I think that's insightful. Uh, you know, you have talked a couple of times on this show about a supposed non-horror movie, which I've unfortunately not caught up with yet from the director of it comes at night. Mm -hmm. That's a family Thanksgiving film. And that's kind of what I was thinking about when you were talking about this. So I don't know if if these films compare at all. Cresha. Yeah. That one's called Cresha. And, and, and that, and if anybody's seen Cresha, this will give you a good idea. Um, Cresha goes like if this film goes to a 10 in terms of horrorness or horribleness, then Cresha goes to like a seven ish. Right. But, but, but this go, this crosses over, I mean, into monster territory. Um, right. You know, hereditary does. And, and but, but Cresha puts you there. I mean, I, I would consider it social horror and I think this is full blown horror, but, but that's a good, that's a great example, Josh. Thank you. I think also as we apparently somewhat controversially talked about with Revenge last week, um, I think this is a really stylish film. It's beautifully shot. It's really inventively shot. There are cool images here that I haven't really seen in, in horror movies before. At the same time, it's it is homaging a lot of horror films, and it has in some ways the vibe of like a '70s horror film to me. Although it also feels very modern. And so it's it's a really impressive filmmaking, I guess, is the the short way of saying that. I think it's it's very accomplished on many fronts, and it's managing to take some things we've seen before and present them in a full, totally unique and fresh way, and, and to the point where it, maybe even it's like something like it follows, where that is a film that heavily homaged a lot of other movies, but it felt like nothing I'd ever seen before. And I feel like this is similar in that way. Like it's, it's, it's not that everything in this movie is, has never been done before, but it, it feels that way when you watch it because mm-hmm. it's um it, at every level, it's kind of inventive. And um, I, I hate to use the word fresh again, but that is like the best descriptor I can give. Like it just felt new. It felt like I was seeing, something that is completely self-contained and a new horror classic. I'm going to just say it, Mm -hmm. you know, I think this is a new horror classic. I think this is going to be for sure. One of the best horror films this year. Oh yeah. And I think it's, you know, one of the best in many years. Uh, Agreed. And in fact, um, so what you're talking about there, you know, it's funny because I was trying to explain that to people on uh, Movie Podcast Weekly and put my finger on it. It's very difficult because, you know, there there are, as as you read in my tweet there, like I said, drama, supernatural, like horror type. There, there's a, there are some supernatural aspects to it. And even though that I am, you know, everybody's heard me sick to death of, you know, supernatural films, what's done here even though some of it is conventional on paper, there's something about the execution or the application of those horror concepts that, as you said, Josh, you 
perfect word. It comes off fresh and it feels different or new. I mean, it affected me differently. I wasn't rolling my eyes during the the quote unquote supernatural aspects or the conventions that we've seen many times in many other films. I, I think somehow um, Ari Aster did it anew here, and I I I still don't know really know how that was done. Right, and I haven't rewatched this, but I um. I'm dying to rewatch it. And I think, um, you know, just, I think the best thing I could say about it is that it's completely stuck with me. Like having not seen this since January, I (laughs) not only can I remember so much of it, Mm -hmm. like I think I was even more foggy the week of Sundance because I saw so many movies that I am now like, it's, this is the movie that everything else fell away. And this is the thing that stuck with stuck with me. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, I do. I, I've I've thought about this a lot since then. And what you know, I was re-listening to our discussion about a quiet place recently. Mm-hmm. You know, listen, we get. I think the more listenership we get, the more complaints we get, and I always feel bad about that because I want, even though you know, we don't have any political agenda on the show and in fact we all i think have different political backgrounds on the show i do think we all try to also be respectful of uh, Mm -hmm. different belief systems you know of of all kinds and so i you know i don't want to really offend anyone i'm not out to make anybody feel bad by listening to the show and you know occasionally we do get complaints and so i was re-listening to a quiet place and thinking about how we talked about um, just you know, kind of the the nuclear family and and its place in society. Obviously, we talked a lot about like you can't get this unless you're a parent, and apparently that offended a lot of people, which I sympathize with. Um, but one thing that I hadn't really noticed that like slipped by when we were talking about that movie is you said, um, "It's always me." I knew it was going to be me. It's always me. <laughs> sorry, I'm always I mean, the, the offender. Go ahead, go ahead. I'm no, sorry. but you said you said um, you know this is exemplary of the attack on the family and you thought that that was an interesting angle on the film Mm -hmm. and i and somehow i missed you saying that during our discussion because i think that is an idea that i'd have wanted to tease out a little bit more um just to talk about and uh, you know because i i don't think we're necessarily on the same page with it but i do think both being kind of family uh men um Mm -hmm. we definitely can both relate to that idea and um you know to bring it back to this film, I think this is a film that deals with the decline of the family in a much different way than a quiet place. In many ways, the opposite way of a quiet place. Yes. But it's dealing with the disintegration of, a, of the family as a place of comfort and a, and a safe haven and where we go to for, um, you know, protection and all of the things that we talk about when we talk about, you know, fathers and families and mothers and, and, and that family unit in horror, you know, that's, it's, I feel like that's a topic that comes up a lot. The parent is supposed to be the protector. That's why X, Y, and Z is a scary movie, you know? And so mm-hmm. I think that definitely comes into play here. And I think, and again, not a totally new idea, but I think done in a totally unique way, this really feels like a movie for our time that deals with, you know, what has become of, of the nuclear family. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or even the extended family. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. Well, and, and I, I think you could just about plug in any sort of family, 
any sure. adjective family that people yeah. would relate to because yeah. in many ways this reminded me i mean i've i've drawn a lot of parallels in this to the witch just in terms of yeah. um you know tone and like cuz the witch at its heart it is just it, it's about the as you said this disintegration or dismantling of a family and, and i feel like this is that as well now um uh, i'll have to save it for the spoiler conversation the next yes. time but remind me i'll have to make myself a note to talk about um you know to tease out what what was done with that in this film which i think is, is extremely interesting and, and different from the witch which is really cool um but yeah i mean that that whole I think the heart, the beating heart of this movie is is the whole family concept and what families are um, presumably meant to, you know, mean to us, I guess. And, and, yeah. and what they, the role that they uh, ideally serve in our lives versus <laughs> what this family does in one another's lives. Um, now, you know, uh, go ahead. Just. While we're mentioning the witch, just in passing, I did want to say, um, I think the witch is actually a good example of a film that m- half the horror community is going to say is one of the greatest horror movies of the year, and the other half are going to say it's this is an, this is not a horror movie and it sucks and it's boring. And I feel like <laughs> that that is the type of reaction I feel like we are going to see in. I mean, I think we're definitely seeing it in the general public with like that cinema score. Mm-hmm. But right. I think that is the kind of conversation we're going to see around this movie. I think this is a very divisive film. And I think those, as we get m- hear more of what those complaints about the film are, those are the types of reactions we're going to hear. Now, I will say of horror writers that I respect, I've only seen one who's coming kind of negative on this film. And from our own horror community, I've only seen like one or two people who have come in low on the film. I think for most of our listeners who have written into us, at the lowest, it's been like an 8.5. Most people are the 9 and the 10 range. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's only been one person who I've seen that was like, it's a 6 or whatever. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and and like I say, same with horror writers who I, who I respect. I really haven't seen anybody coming too low on this. But we know that there's a big portion of the audience who's not responding to this. So oh, I am yeah. very curious. As we get into our feedback show... Uh, when we cover this film again, I'm really curious to see what the complaints are about this movie. I think we can guess, you know, the slow burn aspect and, and things mm-hmm. like that, but yeah, I don't know. I just don't, I don't know. I feel like we should be so grateful to get a movie <laughs> right? this different, you know, and this well-made, you know, this stage in the horror cycle. I, you know, I don't know. Well, I, I will confess one thing. I mean, I got to admit and be totally honest as much as I love Hereditary, I, I feel like that because of the slow burn, <laughs> there was later in the film, like within the first 30 minutes, I mean, I was just enthralled. And, and as I said, at, by about the 30 minute mark, I already felt broken. And I don't mean broken from fear. I mean, broken from just feeling devastated, invested in what was happening and devastated by what was happening. But then... You know, as the film continues on to its <laughs> its awful, and I mean awful in a good way, to its awful decline <laughs> of, of this family, um, you know, I was getting 
a little restless in my seat. And so I can certainly empathize with people who who are like, wow, I mean, come on, let's let's get there. You know, I feel like the runtime, it was two hours and seven minute runtime. And as you said at the beginning, this was initially a lot longer. And what I've what I've heard about that, Josh, is that the the all the same horror stuff is in it, but they had more of the family aspects. And, and so I, I'm glad that it's not a three hour cut anymore. And honestly, I could probably do with a you know, a one hour, 45 minute cut of this because I was feeling restless as it was building. And so I get it. I really do get it. And, you know, it would, it would be, you know, on one hand for me, for my own taste, it would have been fun to have a little more uh, monstrosity and, and dare I even say a little more jump scare, you know, part. And, And in fact, there were, there were instances in this film and we'll talk about it more in spoilers, where I was expecting more of um, an actual scare, and a scare never comes, although you can you can see threats, you know, which is really intriguing to me. But we'll talk about that later. But um, but no, I I could see why a person like you, because you're a very patient cinema watcher, and and I could see why this would be like right up your alley. And but for me, yeah, and I think go ahead. the only thing I'd say to that is just so our audience knows, especially like new listeners who aren't as familiar with us as reviewers, I would say you are on the less patient side of the spectrum for our cat, you know, for our hosts. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But you're also there. You're still more patient than some of those more basic horror fans that we were talking (laughs) about. You're going to get us in trouble with that basic thing. I I think even though, um, even though you are probably more antsy than Dave or I, mm-hmm. you're still you're still pretty open minded compared to a lot of horror viewers. Well, I think. thanks, thanks. That's nice of you to say that. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, and I'm not saying that I'm not saying that you're that I'm right and those people are wrong either. I'm just saying, right, just so people know kind of where we're coming from. And I would say I am on the other end, probably an outlier on the other far end of the spectrum, where I'm kind of willing to see where anything's going to go, and I don't get too worried about a long run time or whatever. Yeah, you're very patient as far as I'm concerned. But anyway, so t- take that into account as we're talking. Yeah, I think it's important. So, okay, a couple of I mean, there are some things I really want to discuss in this and I want to make sure that it, it's not too far cuz listeners, we're not going to spoil anything. One thing I wanted to talk to you about, Josh, is how when this film opens and in the beginning of the film, probably first 15, 20 minutes, I noticed right off the bat, even though it had some underlying kind of, you you felt creepy vibes, it was still pretty well lit. And generally speaking, horror films um, are bathed in shadows. We always talk about that and how like the corners of the screen are black and, and so forth. Um, and so I'm like, wow, um, you know, even though this isn't always a horror film in the daylight, it's the horror film with the lights on. But then, Josh, what's really cool about this film is as it progresses and the tone grows darker, then that cinematography also grows darker and, and that light disappears from the house. It is incredible. I mean, I can't believe I haven't seen that technique more 
in horror films. It's like the the actual lighting within the scene helps tell the story. Great point. Great, yeah. excellent point. Yeah, so when you watch it again, and I'm sure you probably noticed that the first time around, because you're a filmmaker, and you know, for people who don't know, Josh makes films, and so he, he knows how to do all this stuff. But for me, I don't always notice that kind of thing. But yeah, when you revisit it, watch how the light disappears as the film progresses. It's incredible. Um, so in that one tweet, we talked about how, I mean, and this is just a belief of mine. I really strongly believe that that the, the best horror is built on sorrow or rage. Sometimes it's both. And, and I feel like this film really brings that in spades. And, um, and, and, and so we have a lot of times in a horror film, Josh, the, the sorrow doesn't come in until later when we find out, you know, what prior evil has caused all this. What sorrow happened so a terrible thing created, you know, the monster or whatever. And in this, in this film, I, I just think it's interesting how um, we can be in a world um, filled with, you know, imperfect people, but, but regular human beings. And just because sometimes bad things happen or people make terrible decisions or what have you, it, it's not necessarily malicious or anything like that. Um, sorrow can seep in and like our, like uh, that movie, the village, right? It mm-hmm. sorrow will find you. It sniffs you like a dog and it will always mm-hmm. find you. So, I mean, that's one thing I loved about this. We'll have to talk about that a lot more in the spoilers, but um, I like that. I, the other thing that I really love about this film is the idea of inherited sorrow or horror. Mm-hmm. I, lo- I love that concept because it has an inevitability that is terrifying because yes. it feels like fate. It feels like it's out of your control and it has like death it's coming for you. And there's, it's like not necessarily your fault, but you can't escape it either. That's a great horror conceit. I think. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah. That's a good use. Be, yeah. Because yeah, if something is inescapable, yeah, that's scary in and of, in and of itself. And yeah, if there's some, um, you know, if there's a hereditarily <laughs> passed on, you know, right. Oh man, that that's frightening. What about this, Josh? So the film opens like at the very opening, we see an obituary. That's the first thing we're shown. And I love that. And let me just tell you something. And this is out. This is external from the film. I mean, it's so, but I have to at least mention it here because it really enhanced my viewing this same week, you know, that I saw this film, I, this went around, everybody saw it. There was an obituary where, you know, this, this lady died and her two children who were obviously estranged from her, um, wrote, you know, a pretty harsh obituary about her. Did you see that Josh? No, I did not hear about that. Oh man. Okay. Let me just, let me see if I can find it here. Um, Two seconds. Okay. Okay. Here we go. I'm going to, I'm going to pull this up. I might have a recording, you know, play in here. I hope not. Two seconds. I'll have to pause it. Wait a second. No worries. CBS four presents future leaders saluting Colorado's top high school STEM student. Okay. All right. Here we go. So, so Josh, just this week and, um, and I don't know the whole story to this. Okay. But a lot, a lot of people, 
have commented on this. I think this went viral. There's an obituary, and, and you can see the picture. It's this old lady who, by the way, doesn't look that much different. I mean, she's she has similar characteristics to the lady in the obituary in the movie, okay? And and her name, here here's how it reads. It says, um, and I hope I don't get some sort of haunting from reading this, Josh. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> it says, Kathleen Demlo um, was born on March 19th, 1938, to Joseph and Gertrude Schunk of Wabasso. She married Dennis Demlo at St. Anne's in Wabasso in 1957 and had two children, Gina and Jay. In 1962, she became pregnant by her husband's brother, Lyle Demlo, and moved to California. She abandoned her children, Gina and Jay, who were then raised by her parents in Clements, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Joseph Schunk. She passed away on May 31st, 2018, um, in Springfield, and will now face judgment she will not be missed by Gina and Jay, and they understand wow. that this world is a better place without her. Oh, <laughs> isn't that? I mean, uh, I mean, obviously. So I'm not going to make any judgment calls because uh, <laughs> obviously these um, two children were awfully ticked off at this woman, and and so maybe they had reason, you know. But at the same time, you're like, whoa. I mean, to to. To get in your last word, and obituaries are expensive. I used to work at a newspaper. You know, you have to pay, you have to pay per word. And man, they were paying to get those words in there, and those words were sharp. Anyways, that I, I found that to be a little bit disturbing, Josh, when I read that, and I'm like, wow, yeah. you know. And so, and what's so interesting is like literally, like the next day, I saw Hereditary, and it opens with with an obituary. And the woman kind of looks like the woman in this same, this real life obituary. And then it turns out, you know, we learned from the opening eulogy that this woman wasn't always easy and that she has a strained relationship with her daughter played by Tony Collette. Man, like, Josh, it was very freaky. I mean, this started working on me, you know? So, anyways, so am, how can I... Tell me your thoughts on this because I don't want to ruin anything and, you know, I want to make sure we have good stuff to talk about and spoilers. Yeah. But I, I wanted to, I wonder if there's any way to, to figure out if I could talk generally about, you know, when I said I was destroyed by the 30 minute mark. I mean, what do you think about that? Are we just going to leave that in the wind and wait till next time? Because, yeah, yeah I think. Just your reaction is enough for the time being. You know, we can talk about it. I've seen some pretty crazy reactions online as well. Did you, I don't know if you saw um, Edgar Wright's tweet about the movie, but uh, that's pretty. <laughs> what, what, what did he say? Uh, let's see. I just, I just saw it. Um, he, <laughs> he used some blast he blasphemed <laughs> oh okay <laughs> uh he, he said um I'll, I'll quote him i hope i also am not do not go to hell for this either um <laughs> says, discerning horror fans must check out hereditary the debut from ari aster a beautifully shot and performed supernatural thriller that builds to some shocking sequences i actually said 
Jesus Christ allowed at one shot. Tony Collette is amazing, but we knew that already. Go see Hereditary. Okay. <laughs> but there are, there are a couple of people who reacted that way. Um, I think was it Victor in our listenership who had, sorry, we had so many good responses on Twitter already. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to, to hearing what we get later on. One of our listeners said, talked about how they were going to throw up. <laughs> Did you see that one? No, I didn't. But let me just tell you. So, okay, go ahead. yeah, and I won't talk about anything that happens. But when I said that I felt destroyed by the 30 minute mark, you know, by that time in the movie, you experience something. And um, when it happened, my jaw was hanging open and like I couldn't breathe. I didn't breathe for 10 seconds. I was just like paralyzed. And and, and it really affected me that way where I, I was just felt like it was like a. I can't even like a gut punch and just crazy. I just couldn't believe what I was seeing and stuff and, yeah. and, and just wincing and like just freaking out. So anyways, that happened to me. And then I read on Twitter, John Squires at Freddy in space wrote, mm-hmm. it's rare that my jaw drops literally drops while watching a movie. That scene in hereditary dropped my jaw for a good 15 seconds. The sort of scene that makes you feel you're in dangerous hands. In particular, the other character's reaction to it is downright harrowing. And um, I agree with that 100%. I mean, that's just, um, to me, that is just what makes this movie, one great thing that makes this movie so powerful. And if we didn't have that that event, that sequence, that scene, um, this would not be the same movie for me, Josh. That That was essential to me. Yeah, I hear you. Because, you know, it rocked me. And then I was just totally like on my sea legs for the rest of the movie. So, <laughs> anyways, but we'll we'll save uh, more exploration of that for our uh, spoiler discussion in yes. like two episodes from now. So, anyways, uh, should we go in? Should we rate this for people who haven't seen it? And then yeah, let's conclude? do it. And, I, and then afterward, I would love to just read a couple of the listeners' reactions. Um. <laughs> That what we've seen so far, and we'd love to hear more, obviously, as well. Absolutely. Yeah, so for me, Josh, uh, Hereditary is a 9 out of 10. This is a must-see. It's uh, one of the best horror films, not only of this year, but I, I would say of this decade. And um, this is this is a buy it, so I'd say see it in the theater and buy it. What do you say, Josh? Yeah, this is a film that has stuck with me like few I've seen in recent memory. Um, you know, it's hard to find an exact comparison to this, but in more recent films, you know, I think if something like the Babadook affected you, something like the witch affected you, Mm -hmm. something like it follows affected you is not really like any of those movies in (laughs) some ways, but it, but tonally it reminds me of some of those films and, and I guess more like the feeling they gave me. Uh, more than anything so yeah i think as you said i think this is one of the great horror movies of our time it's definitely one of the best of the year right now it's in contention for my one two three spot and i feel like it's probably going to be my favorite of the year once i see it again so uh, this is a 10 out of 10 for me and i say see it in the theater and buy it (laughs) that's excellent 
right. Hereditary. And you said you had some listen, listener feedback so far. Okay. So yeah, let's look at a little bit of the listener feedback we've seen. This is from Joe Brunette. He says hereditary was original, shocking, heartbreaking, heartwarming, and downright amazing. I left the theater legitimately speechless. Can't wait to see it several more times in the theater. 10 out of 10. <laughs> nice. The boogie brand says on hereditary movie, a perfect horror film, physically, mentally, emotionally resting and scary on several levels will afford appreciating returns on subsequent viewings, masterfully crafted with stunning performances and direction. 10 out of 10. Mm -hmm. And speaking of the performances and I'm not, I don't say this lightly, but I mean, for real, Tony Collette, I mean, how that is Oscar caliber. I mean, I would give it to her right now. The, the Oscar, like for the year, it's only June. And I'd be like, yep, she, she got it. That's it. Absolutely. Um, Armored Foe says a slow burning supernatural death ride into madness. Not for everyone. And I can already see people hating this, but damn, that was awesome. Nine out of 10 must watch. And I'll for sure buy this when it releases. <laughs> yes. Um, Juan at the Reaper of Soul on Twitter. He says hereditary is a small fire that becomes a grandiose blaze. It slowly burns its way through, but in the end it consumes all to ashes. Nothing can prepare you for this, <laughs> which that's a great review right there. Nothing can prepare you for this. <laughs> right. A couple more here. Um, this one is from Jeff Griffith. He says, I, Oh, this is the one I was thinking of earlier that I don't know if the listeners heard that, but I, I was looking for this tweet earlier. And this is the one that really affected me. Uh, Jeff says, I inexplicably almost started crying at one point and various times felt like I might throw up. (laughs) Not from gore, from an overwhelming sense of dread. 10 out of 10 for me, a new classic. Uh (laughs) Nice. That was a good one. Never, Never Grow Up says, I just finished watching Hereditary. Freaking amazing creepy as hell and i am really glad i took your advice to not watch the trailers or any spoilers thanks guys i was more i guess <laughs> toward us mm-hmm. but um i captured it here this is funny dino <laughs> mentioned that when he saw the film he says they didn't turn the lights on in the theater at the end of the credits so when the movie ended i was just sitting in a pitch black theater after the projector turned off <laughs> oh no oh no and then jake parker whose opinions i greatly respect he's a filmmaker great guy um he's coming definitely the lowest of our listeners he says hereditary is a 6.5 out of 10 for me i enjoyed my time with it doesn't reinvent anything or break the usual but it's good for what it does and he, you know, he says, check out his review. I, I did. And I really disagree with most of what he said. He said it was for mainstream audiences. And I really just want to reiterate. I feel like this is way too challenging for most mm-hmm. mainstream audiences. I just don't see that. Yeah. So, and I, I feel like the D plus, you know, it speaks to that. that right. That cinema score. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was some of uh, some of our listeners' experiences. Dino says this as well. He says, 
<laughs> my buns were clenched tight for the last 15 minutes. <laughs> tight. <laughs> Which I think is awesome. Tell it. And uh, Juan responded to that. I went with a friend. She was gripping my hand so hard. What she didn't know is that I was also gripping my seat with the other hand. <laughs> oh, I thought that was amazing. That is amazing. But yeah, definitely not for everybody. And mm-hmm. if you hated it, I guess tell us why. But <laughs> we'd love to, we'd love to hear why why people are are not liking this movie. If it's anything other than it's a slow burn, there's not enough gore, jump scares. I'm, I I get that. But if you have another reason why you really feel like the movie doesn't work, mm-hmm. I'd like to hear about it. Yeah, totally. Here's another slightly interesting thing. I don't know if you've seen any of the marketing around this movie. You know, we saw this with Paranormal Activity where they show the people in the theaters reacting, the scares. This is something even more a little William Castle than that. We had (laughs) um, Alamo Draft House and A24 set up heart rate monitors to audiences watching Hereditary. Mm -hmm. Did you see that? No, I didn't know that. It's kind of funny. So it shows their heart rate and it shows the minute mark in the film, right? So it's going along, going along under under a hundred BPM. And then at the 30 minute mark, it jumps up to about 130 BPM. <laughs> and then it's kind of like, you know, up and down, up and down, up and down at the one hour mark, it jumps up to 140 BPM. And then a, a few minutes later, even higher up to 157 BPM. And then at the 90 minute mark, the heart rates are up at 164 BPM and then they just drop <laughs> steadily toward the end. Wow. But it's, it's pretty cool to see the heart rate monitors are just steadily climbing and climbing and climbing with, with lulls. Yes, but also just huge spikes. <laughs> so that was kind of a funny old kind of traditional horror um, mm-hmm. advertising campaign. <laughs> but I do think that kind of horror campaign or that kind of advertising campaign may be the kind of stuff that's hurting this movie. Yeah. Cause you know, that's unfortunate. And, yeah. I, and I hope our review doesn't hurt this movie. I'm, I'm sure it will. People always like <laughs> you oversold it, you know? Yeah. I don't know how not to oversell it. I mean, I just, I it's loved it. Hard. It's hard. Well, and, and you know, for the weekend box office, I forget to mention, I mean, this has got a fourth place. It's in the top four and it got like 13 million. And that was the highest, um, a24 release yet so that's great yeah i mean i'm i'm really excited about that i love a24 i'm um i yeah. appreciate the work they're doing so they're they're doing great work all across the board but especially in horror as well with green room and the witch and i, I really am happy with the stuff they're putting out mm-hmm. me too me too okay joshua well um we'll call it a night there but uh why don't you let the listeners know where they can um, find you on the internet and hear more of your work, sir. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Letterboxd at Icarus Arts. Um, I'm on UniversalMonstersCast.com and MovieStreamCast.com, neither of which are working still. And I really, to be honest, I have not gotten around to just because I have no idea what I'm doing. It's going to be a huge amount of work, and so I just really I need a save. I need someone to come in. I need an angel out there to come help me <laughs> with some of this stuff uh, or else it's not going to happen anytime soon. Cause I'm just too busy. 
Um, that's about it. I'm going to China pretty soon, which I'm hoping I'll be able to podcast before or after, but I'm excited about that for a little documentary shoot. And, uh, that's it. Oh, let me just say, I know you guys reviewed cargo and I'm not going to be able to do it until a postmortem, but as long as I'm on the show, I'll just throw in my rating was probably like an 8.5 range and I'll, I'll do a postmortem review on that next Frankenstein episode, but okay. I liked it a lot. I was a little bit, on one hand, I was blown away with how they were able to tease out the short film. On the other hand, I left me a little bit disappointed. I wanted a little bit more. Okay. Gotcha. You tell people to stream it on Netflix. Yep. And one of the best, I mean, it still is one of my top 10 horror films of the year so far. So awesome. with a lot of drama. Right. Right. <laughs> All right, Josh. Well, thanks for taking the time to chat with us from Oregon. We really appreciate you being here, buddy. Thanks for having me. Okay, Dave. Well, I think that just about wraps up episode 148 of Horror Movie Podcast. We thank the listeners for joining us. Even though the Wolfman wasn't here, it, I missed having him around, didn't you, Dave? Uh, definitely. Yeah, I, I, I did. Yeah, he's awesome. It, it's, I mean, it's always great when all three of us are here. Yeah, I totally agree. So, yeah, next time um, you'll be able to catch up with Wolfman because he's bringing a really good theme for you listeners. So we hope you'll definitely join us for episode 149. You're going to love that. Um, but Some great movies, too, that... that- Mm-hmm. That, he's, that he's thrown in that, I'm really looking forward to that one yep yep and we're just going to keep him in suspense huh Dave <laughs> I, so, yeah absolutely that's right that'll bring him back that's our teaser I guess but but yeah make sure you follow um, Josh on Twitter he's at Icarus Arts he's very active on there he also does um, the majority of our um, horror movie podcast Twitter feeds so at horror movie cast. I jump on there once in a while to stir people up. I, I resisted stirring people up about upgrade. So um, I just thought I'd just save it and do it on this episode. Right. <laughs> right. Dave. <laughs> you got to stir the pot somewhere. I, so. The thing is, I, I, I loved upgrade everybody. I loved it. And if, if it's horror for you, then I'm, I'm happy for it. That's fine. I, I see your point. I really do. Anyway, Dave, where can the listeners find more of your work on the internet? And go over to dvdinfatuation.com where I have my uh, 2,500 reviews out there. At, DVD infa- uh, at DVD Infatuation on Twitter. I have a Facebook page as well as uh, an Instagram. And uh, on Letterboxd, where, as uh, we said at the beginning, I'm selling some of my collection off. Mm-hmm. Or listing it. I'm not, I'm not selling it through Letterboxd, but I'm listing it on Letterboxd. Right. That's right. And, uh, of course, other podcasts, the Universal Monsters cast, uh, the We Deal in Lead uh, podcast, Westerns, and starting up again soon, the Land of the Creeps. I did hear from Greg Amortis. Um, yes. and he's getting ready to uh, to start that back up again. Oh, that's great! Yeah, I know we've had some yeah. listeners miss that show. They've been they've been asking me about it. And yeah. um, well, Greg's great. I mean, I think, uh, and I told him, I said the the slasher episodes are probably one of the more popular uh, episodes that we've had, and he mm-hmm. was great on all of them. I mean, he really brought it, and he really that's his specialty. He knows a lot about the 80s slashers. Oh, yeah. Um, I shouldn't say specialty. His horror is his specialty. 
Yeah. He knows a lot about the genre in general. Yes, he does. Um, but he had a particular interest in uh, 80s slashers, and he really brought it for those, what was going to be two episodes, and it ended up being uh, four episodes. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and if you haven't, uh, what are the numbers on those? I got to go find out what the numbers are for the slasher ones, because they're definitely worth checking out um, if you haven't heard those episodes yet. And you get to hear Greg on with us, and, and he did a great job. Yeah, those, those are actually some of my favorites as well. Um, so that's that's episode 101, I, I believe is where it starts. Episode 101 through like 104 or something like that. Okay. Is um, right. horrormoviepodcast.com. You can find those if you haven't heard them. Yeah, it's like hours and hours of 80 slasher talk. Yeah, <laughs> so. absolutely. I think, we, I think we at least name check everyone. Yeah, I hope so. I hope we didn't miss anything. Yeah, right. really proud of that. That's a great series. And yeah, Greg Mortis was our secret weapon on that for sure. So that's awesome. Yeah, and I, I'm i sorry I failed to mention that, you know, Josh is also on Universal Monsters cast with Dave there and uh, Gilman Joel. And Josh is also on Movie Streamcast as well. So just want to make sure people are aware of those. And I'm on uh, moviepodcastweekly.com, which is silly silly show we cover all genres and that's the new stuff that's in theaters or streaming online uh, it's a little bit of horror but a little bit of everything else too like we talk about solo and we're going to be talking about the new jurassic world movie and avengers and all that stuff so join us over there if you dig movies in general we'd love to have you but uh we're grateful for your comments and we encourage people to get involved in the horror movie podcast community if you're not already uh, you can leave a comment in the show notes for episode 148 here or email us at horrormoviepodcast at gmail.com and you can also leave us a voicemail at 801-382-8789 now dave i i know that um lately we've been saying hey we're gonna get the listener comments and then we we suck and like we we run out of time or something happens like tonight we had some technical difficulties that threw off our our schedule a little bit but listeners i i i, I know i say this all the time but we're we're seriously gonna we gotta catch up with you on some of this stuff because we've gotten some yeah. great comments lately and actually i do want to throw something out real quick right now mm-hmm. um right at the end here and it's to pastor matt uh he had put on the boards that he went back and listened to an old um weekly horror movie podcast oh mm-hmm. i can't remember if it was that a horror metropolis where we had discussed a house of the devil Oh yeah, that's and I and we were discussing about how it felt more like a '70s movie than an '80s movie. Um, well, just to respond to Pastor Matt, that's one of the reasons I never go back and listen to old episodes because I'm always afraid what I might have said um, way back when. I mean, um, especially during those times, um, if I had said that. Uh, it that they didn't really have those type of movies in the 80s you are correct I mean that that was a that would have been a very sort of narrow-minded thing to, uh, uh, for me to say I can't remember what was said um, and about how it felt more like a 70s movie because of that um, you're right the 80s were not just slashers they were all sorts of horror movies in the 80s um, just like the 70s had some slashers um, you know it wasn't just just strictly the 80s but I think what I 
really do feel from from House of the Devil, which is the Ty West movie mm-hmm. uh, from I think two thousand nine, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, um, is that it? Always felt tonally to me more like from the seventies and the eighties. I always felt it was more like along the lines of let's scare Jessica to death than even the one you mentioned, which was the Damien uh, Final Conflict movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it always felt tonally more along the lines of that of, of a 70s film for me. But if I had said because of the subject matter made it more 70s and 80s, that was wrong. And that was I don't know what I was thinking when I when I said that. I know you said you weren't sure exactly uh, who it was who said that. But uh, if it was me and even if I had joined in, that was completely wrong. And you're absolutely right. They do. Um, especially the final conflict. I watched the final conflict on cable all the time, um, you know, back in the early eighties. Yep. Uh, so yeah, I, I don't, uh, you, you point well taken. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we've known for a long time that our listeners are smarter than we are and know right. a lot more exactly. than we do, but isn't exactly. that the Ty West movie, um, house of the devil. I love that film. Isn't it set? Didn't he set it though in 1983? It doesn't. It isn't he it did. meant to appear like an 83 ish? It's definitely set in the 80s. Yes, and mm-hmm. you could. I mean, there's that scene where the girls. You know it because there's a scene where the girls dancing, and I do like that scene quite a bit too. Um, I think the fix is one thing leads to another. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is an 80s song. I mean, I re- I remember that song very well. So it yeah, it definitely is set in the 80s. There's no doubt about that. But for some reason, tonally to me, I just always felt that it, it felt more like a 70s movie. Mm-hmm. Um, not And again, not that they didn't have those sort of films in the 80s. That's just what I equated it to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I feel like, you know, just throwing in my two cents, I, I really do feel like the 70s tone, like I, I feel like it bled over into the 80s Um really nice like i love the way that those two decades in cinema go together especially in the horror genre because then you know as we as we moved away from like like all the the vietnam era stuff which is you know getting pretty far past that and we get into the you know the the excess and the excitement and the abundance of the 80s then then horror got a little more campy and a little more like, um, you know, uh, fun for lack of a better word. So it went from the dark, dreary, and arty into like a little more campy and silly, right? I mean, is that is that the sense that you have of it, Dave? I, I see what you're saying. Yes, yes, I, I, I would agree to that. You know, in spirit, anyway. I don't know that I would say campy and silly. But I know where you're going with it, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I would agree that when compared, you know, when, when you're looking at that sort of transition yeah. of, uh, of the horror films. Yeah, definitely. But, and again, not that the 80s didn't have their art, arty, um, you know, more more intense, more dark films. Right. Like, Just like there was plenty of camp and, and, and uh, uh, in the 70s. But... I know what you're saying, and it, they do flow together. Those two decades are, mm-hmm. and it's always up in the air which is the best. I mean, the '80s is is nostalgia for me, so I always I love it. Uh, but my God, the '70s has have well, my two of my favorite, my top two favorite horror films are in the '70s: Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Dawn of the Dead. Mm-hmm. That's and true. The third is '82's The Thing, so right in there, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And then you got highbrow, high-minded art films in the 80s, like Demon of Paradise from 87, yes, for exactly. example. Right? <laughs> exactly. I really, I really want to watch these movies to dispel this whole Dr. Schlock. It, it, let you know that I, too, can watch <laughs> these serious, um, uh, very artistic horror films. That's right. That's right. All right. Well, um, <laughs> listeners, so you can find those old episodes where we say wrongheaded and incorrect things. Um, those are in the archives on our website at <laughs> horrormoviepodcast.com. We've got the weekly horror movie podcast and Horror Metropolis back then. You can hear Dave be wrong about um, the dorm that dripped blood. <laughs> and yes, you, you could hear you could hear Jay be even wronger about the dorm that dripped blood. <laughs> oh, gotta one of these days we gotta time time that film and <laughs> just do a study. We, on we it. do because I think you're gonna be very surprised uh, <laughs> when when you realize how wrong you are about the time. And, but never mind. And that's what will happen. You know, probably you know the director of Feral is really ticked off at me right now saying we didn't go back and forth back and forth between point a and point b that's not the whole movie but i mean i mean it just felt that way to me so um you know so maybe my perception of time while watching movies is askew or something i think, I think you you get pulled into some sort of rift in time yeah when you're watching <laughs> certain movies i do uh, and I, do. I don't know if, if i'm guessing time uh, is moving much slower for you yeah. Uh, in, in whatever sort of, um, you know, uh, the schism in time and space that you seem to be drawn into. I know. It's so um, mysterious. It really is. And, and and so you're timing these scenes in the dorm that drip blood that are maybe a minute and a half. And you're coming up with 15 minutes. So they, they shouldn't have named it the dorm to drip blood, though. I think they should have named it how to prepare campus for Christmas break. <laughs> yeah. Yes, for those two-minute scenes where they do that, that would probably work. It would have been a quick two-minute educational show. <laughs> oh, you, the other one that we fought about a lot, and I'm sorry, I'm just dragging this on, but the, like the, there was a there was a movie that you and I like fought about pretty. We always forget to talk about it. Um, it was in it, it was in the weekly horror movie podcast right and it was the one where there was like a kidnapping type of movie yeah Um, i'm trying to remember i reviewed that on the blog it's a good it's a good film actually and we i think we really liked it we just ended up fighting about it quite a bit i can't even remember what we were talking about Uh that to be honest i can't remember what the disagreement was about. okay okay it was in episode five of the weekly horror movie podcast and the film was called broken from 2006 broken yeah, it, yes. yeah. Doctor Shock gets really wound up in that episode too. So you, you listeners, you should go back and listen to that because he gets really ticked off. And I love, I love when you I get like, fired I remember up. Remember why? I can't remember why because I don't think you you didn't dislike the movie. I no, don't think. I, I liked it a lot. It was very disturbing, but but yeah, yeah, you you got fired up on that episode, and it was. And then of course, I think it was with Terra Tovi, the whole <laughs> someone's knocking at the door. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's a crazy movie. Okay. Anyways, yeah. So those are our our back archives of our uh, previous horror podcasts, the weekly horror movie podcast in Horror Metropolis. Check those out. You can subscribe free in iTunes. They call it Apple Podcasts now. You can uh, follow us on Twitter at Horror Movie Cast, and we want to thank 
Fred Ingram for the use of his music for our podcast theme song. You can find Fred's music at frederickingram.com. And we also want to thank Kagan Breitenbach because he did that amazing classical reworking orchestration at the beginning of Fred's original theme there. And so uh, find Kagan's work at kaganbreitenbach.com. And we always have those linked in the show notes for you. But anyway, I think that's it for episode 148. So on behalf of Dave, Dr. Shock Becker, and Wolfman Josh, who's somewhere in the Oregon coast, right, Dave? <laughs> we, yes. Yes. We thank you for listening. Deep in the woods of Oregon, I think. Yes, deep, deep in there. Um, the ghost forest or something. Uh, we thank you for listening, and we hope you join us Friday after next for Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. <laughs> <laughs>